Please, try again. And I'll send you out of here in plastic. the double feature podcast that celebrates all movies from the sublime to the suspicious. As always, I'm Lindsay Wilkins, and this week we are traveling the rails to see where it takes us. It's a double feature of Buster Keaton's The General from 1926 and Andre, I'm going to butcher his name, Konchalovsky's Runaway Train. Um, and to ramp up the speed with me is an amazing writer for the likes of Bloody Disgusting and Man of Vellum, as, as, as well as so many more. And also one of, and also the co-host of Movies for Life. Uh, yes, I got that right. It is Brian Kuyper. Hey, how's it going? Great. It's so good to be back. No, it's so good to have you back. It's been a long time. And I yeah. keep meaning to, because you suggested this double at the same time, you suggested the m and a nightmare on elm street and i was like oh we have to do that one and now we're finally doing it and it was this double is a lot of fun yeah i mean um for i think i think originally we talked about doing like strangers on a train or something like something that, like that train, yeah which which is great too but then when i saw you bought a bunch of buster keaton movies i was like what about the general with that what do you think of that and so um and so I, I was, I maybe a little bit, uh, you know, selfish because I just wanted to watch Buster Keaton again. It's been a little while since <laughs> I've watched enough Buster Keaton, you know, I, I got to say. Oh, no, there's there's one thing. There's never enough of Buster Keaton. I could. There's um, not. I know. Even when I think a movie I'm not going to like, he does something so stupid. I'm like, okay, I'm back on. You almost killed yourself for my entertainment. And I, I appreciate I that. <laughs> I mean, when the guy was at the height of his career, you know, the sort of late 20s into the very early 30s, it was, I, it's hard to beat him. I mean, I can't think of, I, as much as I love Chaplin and Lloyd um, and some of the other sort of silent era comedians, for me, you know, Keaton is just, yeah, man, it just genius level stuff going on it, it just in so many i mean he can do with just a simple look make you laugh or he will do something a stunt where you're just watching him going seriously are you are you nuts how are you not yeah oh you did hurt yourself i can see you yeah you, you did <laughs> yes. you're trying to he hide had. it yeah he did he did more than once so, he did more than uh, once um yeah. yeah it's even my partner we were watching another button uh buster keaton movie which i'll probably bring up um and he was watching the end sequence going how i'm like i don't know there were no rules back in 1928 apparently <laughs> yeah i know 
that's the way it feels when watching these movies. Uh, oh my god! One of the things I kind of love about it. But we're getting probably a little ahead. Of we are very getting ahead of ourselves and getting a bit yeah. too. Ex- I'm getting a bit too excited with Buster Keaton. But yeah. um, movies for life has just been kicking so much ass at the moment, especially um, your last oh, episode. Okay. I think it was the Midnight Mass episode. I don't think your other one has dropped yet, or has it? Uh, actually, uh, yeah, we just uh, released our Doctor Sleep episode last week. Um, oh, I missed days it. Ago. Yes. Um, so those are both available, sort of our, our Flanagan double feature, sort of large format double feature, which we spread out over uh, two episodes mm-hmm. rather than doing them all in one, because uh, <laughs> that would have been probably a little much. You know. Yes, um, I was just saying off Mike. Mike Flanagan's early movies seem to be very quick and very mean, and then he does, um, well, he also does um, House on Haunted Hill, um, but mm. then he does... Um, uh, Midnight Mass and Doctor Sleep, and those are some big epic things to try and wrap yeah, your brain around. Big sprawling movies and series, yeah. Um, which you know, when he seems to really have hit a stride with these series he's doing, though. Um, and so when we did Midnight Mass, I mean, it ended up being a fairly kind of personal thing for both mm. of us. Um, and you know, I come at it from the lens of a person of faith and she and michelle my co-host uh, who's been on the show uh, mm, yes she has was which has been very exciting to listen to that um coming at it from a um from from a person who does not and it was just it was a just a terrific conversation to have uh between the two of us and um and you know i th- i think it was sort of eye opening for maybe both of us you know <laughs> to to be that vulnerable and and to get down into some of those really heavy and deep questions like what flanagan does with midnight mass you know he really does as someone who didn't know she was part of, she was even remotely in a religious family she was too well i wasn't but i remember um it was a census around when I was 21 and my mother happened to ask me what religion I put and I put nothing. And she goes, you do realize you're Presbyterian. I'm like, since when? (laughs) Right. (laughs) We've never, there's never been anything, but, um, it's, but it's a movie that is such, because it is such a, well, no, it's not a movie. It's a eight, well, a very long movie, I guess, but it is, um, eight parts. (laughs) Yeah. I think of it in that sense a little bit as being a, a, you know, a seven hour, eight hour movie. Yeah. Um, because you know, it's, it, it is of a piece, you know, yes. it's, it's as, as episodic as it um, becomes. But I mean, it's hard to, for me, at least, it's kind of hard to stop once I get going with it. Really is, especially when you get that sort of reveal of kind of what's happening. But it's kind mm-hmm. of this amazing kind of, because it's so much about not just religion, but it's about community. It's about addiction. Yes. It's about um all kinds of things yeah. all kinds of things and then when i get into the which i have done in it also in the episode on dr sleep there's so much it kind of feels there's even more going on in there because again it's about personal demons you, yes. um sort of a faith even though it's more of the faith in the 12-step system because it is very much about addiction and mm-hmm. trying not to repeat the sins of your father and also yeah. this other thing going on as well it's um Though, when you saw Doctor... Did you see the theatrical edition or the director's cut first of Doctor Sleep? I'm always fascinated about the... Yeah. I saw it in the theater. So I saw it... um, I saw the theatrical cut first Mm. um, and was extremely moved by it. I had also just happened to watch The Shining, you know, that same morning. (laughs) Yes. uh, You know, on purpose. You know, there's no doubt about that. And, you know, I thought, 
okay, um, this is a great movie, but, you know, The Shining, mm. <laughs> you know, um, but over time, you know, especially now having seen uh, the director's cut, the director's cut is my preferred version. Yeah, me too. Uh, of Dr. Sleep. Um, it just sort of rises in estimation as I watch it more. Um, I think yeah. it's really getting at some emotional things. Whereas, you know, The Shining is obviously, it's a masterpiece, but it's also a very cold film. Very cold, on purpose. Like Yeah, I, yeah, yeah, it's supposed to be. There's, there's no, I mean, yeah, there's no doubt that that was the intention. Um, yes. But as an emotional experience, it's not really that. It's, you know, whereas uh, Dr. Sleep is an emotional experience too. Um, and so I, I kind of like having them as a piece that hang together, but are just so different from each other as well. It's very interesting how they speak to each other. Yeah, it's kind of like, because you're in um, Jack Torrance's kind of point of view, I guess, for The Shining, and he's a very cold creature, mm -hmm. um, especially how he lets the hotel in and all that kind of thing with, with his Danny, even though he does some of her parent things. Um, mm -hmm. Even though I read the book just before I saw the movie, I didn't quite click what he did, what happened to the woman and her baby. <laughs> like I thought it was something oh, right. else. And they went, oh, yeah. he, oh, no. Yeah. Um, and it's, but he's warmer. He's got more of a heart to him. He kind of still wants to, yeah. So I think they're kind of nice juxtapositions. Um, and before we get into our double, is there any uh, articles that you've just written lately that you want to highlight? Uh, You're a sure. very busy man. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I had... <laughs> I had a bunch fall over the come out over the past couple of weeks. Um, one of them is actually on Midnight Mass uh, mm. that I wrote for Manor Vellum, um, and it's an extremely personal piece. It uh, got a little surprise boost because Mike Flanagan himself happened to read it <gasps> and share it. Holy so, moly! <laughs> which is one of the most mind-blowing things that's ever happened to me as a writer. Mm. Um, so I was just like, I, I am so grateful <laughs> to him and just kind of <laughs> humbled and honored that he not only read it, but seemed to like it, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, quite a bit. And so it it kind of, it got quite a boost because, mm. you know, Manor Vellum is, is, yeah, it's just a little group. It's a pretty small little website. It's run through medium.com. So, I mean, it's not, bloody disgusting you know that has sort of this long-term 20-year following behind it exactly um but uh that was quite a boon for her little website and we were really kind of proud of all that uh so no uh, cool i will link that um article in the description of the show because yeah you're yeah. you you have a really cool way of making a lot of things you get that personal connection to the movies that you love when you're writing and that's something i've always enjoyed about your writing, yeah. Especially the um, the Wes Craven series you did was also with Mel, uh, Men of wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yes. Yeah. And that one that one is uh, a deeply personal thing. Uh, when mm -hmm. it comes to, like, uh, I've, I've also, I've got a column that I do at uh, Bloody Disgusting that uh, I'm pretty proud of. It's called Gods and Monsters. Mm -hmm. um, that is, uh, you know, classic horror. Yes. So uh, stuff... It, I occasionally have done things from the very beginning of the 70s, but they have to have the requirement of they are still kind of old school. Yes. You know, like I did uh, I did um, the 50th anniversary last year of the abominable Dr. Fives, mm. which, you know, was technically 1971, but I was like, 
but it's still got Vincent Price in it. And you know? it still feels I mean, like, and it kind of feels like a 1968 like, movie, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, it does. It very much feels like a 68 movie. Um, but I love that movie. And so I was like, I really want to do this one. So anyway, yeah. I threw that in there. Um, but uh, I just had one released on Freaks, um, hmm. Todd Browning's film uh, there. I also had another piece that I thought was pretty cool. Um, that was a lot of fun to research on the thing and it's the history of the thing all the way back to the early versions of it that John W. Campbell wrote yes. uh, all the way up through the 2011 film. Mm. So uh, it was a lot of fun to, to dive into the history and research all that. So, oh. And I have something coming up real soon here that's another sort of research heavy thing on Roger Corman um, and that'll probably be out around when this drops so <laughs> oh actually i did see you reading a book about roger coleman i'm like i need mm -hmm. to get that book because uh yeah oh he... that's it that's his autobiography oh uh, how i made a hundred movies in hollywood and never lost a dime which very rare <laughs> oh man just so and you know i think about the books that i've read on filmmaking you know some great ones you know mm. uh sydney lumet's making movies yes. and stuff this is right up there with those it's very candid He's talks about um, the successes, the people he worked with. And he has these little excerpts in there from people uh, he worked with, you know, who call him out a little bit sometimes. It's, it's, and it's, you know, it's sort of like, eh, fine, you know, whatever. He, and I, I, I just love that it's, it's sort of free to all, to, and, and, you know, sort of a little bit warts and all, you know? That's good. Yeah, he sort of seemed like a, a person who's like, yeah, I love movies, but I'm here to make money. So yeah. if I tell you to put boobs in your movie, put boobs yep. in your movie. It's That's especially, right. especially 80s Corman. 80s Corman. But um, no, yeah. I, I need to track that book down because that sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, it's it's uh, still in print. It was it came out in like 1989. Oh. But it's, um, it's still in print. It's uh, available in a fairly inexpensive paperback format so um yeah yeah it's it's worth it it's a great book i i was it's so much more fun than so many filmmaking yes books can be um yeah. but i just yeah i'm i just brand even more appreciation for him than i've had before you know and again you know there, there's plenty that is like i guess problematic about some of the, <laughs> you think about some of the movies that he made and it's like hey <laughs> you know or or that he produced oh oh um, my god yes some yeah. of them were to get butts in the seats yes. but then to have but then to have a message behind it and i find that to be interesting it's sort of this balance between the artistic and the business side of of this and he was really savvy with that when he was uh, sort of at the height of his career. Now he's kind of enjoying his retirement now that he's going to be 96. Uh, oh, my God. <laughs> I hope that man never. years old. I seriously hope that man never dies. Um, I know. I just know. make him immortal. Um, no, because he, <laughs> he, he did always have a thing of like, I need you to do these three things and then you mm -hmm. can do what you want and yes you do get some magic like i love humanoids from the deep even though i know he yeah. went and added in more rape scenes but that movie yeah, does I have know. like ideas behind it even cat shay's uh strip to kill is amazing mm -hmm. um she took his i want boobs in such an artistic way like it's yeah, yeah it's it, when you look at the people that he worked with and the directors that he kind of um I guess mentored and kind of worked with you just get these amazing movies that i don't that still have such these individualities of the people that made them and corman still made money out of them because 
he knew yeah. exactly what was going to get butts and seats or yeah. in the drive-in. Um, he knew exactly what he was doing. And so I cannot re- wait to read that article. I do love Coleman a lot. <laughs> um, and going back to someone, I guess, someone who the ingenuity and someone knew who was doing and in fact invented a whole genre. I'm get, like watching the general this time. I'm like, oh, he's the first one who do this, isn't he? Um, almost. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I know what you're saying there. I mean, there's so much that I, I think with Keaton, I mean, and he was an independent. That's he was. Because he wasn't, his best stuff is, is was made outside of the studio system. Because the when general the studio hadn't... system was God yes. at the time. Because this was before he did his deal, deal with MGM, wasn't it? So the general was mm-hmm. his actual independent. Yeah. Um, yeah. But before we get and into. He, he only made one great movie with, with MGM. Oh, was that the, the cameraman? Oh, the cameraman. The... Yeah. He made the cameraman. Then after that, they they were just they just noted they him sucked, to death. <laughs> took, took away everything that was great about Keaton. Yeah, yeah. it's just so sad. It's so sad. It's so sad. Um, but before oh. we get into the magic that is Buster Keaton, as I like to imagine, we're an imaginary theater. The curtains are opening, <laughs> and Brian, what do you show as your first trailer for The General? Okay, so you know, so often the temptation is. I'm going to pick movies that people have never heard of to yeah. make myself look so smart. It's like bullshit. I'm not yeah. going there. Today, sorry. <laughs> um, so the first movie that I've chosen is uh, David Lean's The Bridge on the River Kwai. The adventure they'll all be talking about as long as the motion picture screen has the power to thrill, to excite, to amaze. The winner of seven Academy Awards and 27 International Awards. From the makers of Lawrence of Arabia, The Bridge on the River Kwai. I am the commanding officer of this camp. Your British prisoners have been chosen to build a bridge across the River Kwai. If you work hard, you will be treated well. But if you do not work hard, you will be punished. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, This is perfect. Really Um, for one scene, to be honest. One scene. But that one scene was, now that I think about it, was probably, okay, how did Buster Keaton do this bit? Okay, Mm -hmm. we'll just do that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You want to blow up a bridge with a train? Boom. It's it's like lifted wholesale from this movie. (laughs) <laughs> no it is it was kind of i think it was one of the first um uh yeah it was one of the first movies i watched when this in lawrence arabia when i realized alec guinness had a whole career before he did star wars i was like right <laughs> it's when you're a kid or when you're about a teenager and you watch something and you're like wait is that obi-wan kenobi what yeah, I know. oh okay and then, and then what's crazy <laughs> is before this you know all those comedies he made yes Lady Killers you know? and um, Man in the White Suit, whatever the camp river's called, yeah. but yeah. Yeah, that's right, that's right. And, you know, the Lavender Hill mob. Yes. Um, those that are so funny. I yeah. Mean, he was just, and, you know, Kind Hearts and Coronets where he plays seven characters. Oh, my God, I love that movie so much. Um, yes. Oh, yeah. So, it's... I mean, Alec Guinness is brilliant in this movie. Yeah, he is. William Holden is brilliant in this movie. He is. You know, uh, and I think everyone is. I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to screw up names so i'm not even going to attempt but just look at the cast list everyone is fantastic it's so beautifully shot um and of course the scene that i'm referring obviously it's a war film both mm-hmm. are war films um but 
the when the train goes across the bridge on the River Kwai and it blows up is spectacular. Yes. It's incredible. Mm. And, you know, frankly, it's just as great in the general. I mean, when that when that train scene happens in this, I mean, it's a little bit different because it doesn't blow up. I mean, mm. it falls, it just... falls away. But um, but it, it's sort of taking what Buster Keaton did and sort of in the 50s context, you know, taking it to a next level kind of um, is the way it feels to me. You know, it, but I imagine they probably were like, yeah, let's do what they did in the general. Yeah, it's <laughs> easy. We know how they did it. Uh, we, mm -hmm. we could just do that. And it was no model work, really. They may have built a no. large train, but um, which I can't remember if they did with the general. They just actually had a train that they just dropped in a river. They actually crashed a train. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, this was this was a, the general was, uh, as I understand, it was like the most expensive movie ever made uh, of its time. <laughs> So many trains. <laughs> yeah, all it does the not surprise me. Blowing stuff up and oh man, it's yeah. Yeah, it it it's, it's such an action movie, and there's a lot of reasons to watch um, Bridge on the River Kwai. But that final scene of just mm -hmm. Alec Baldwin, uh, not Alec Baldwin, um, Alec Guinness oh, oh, having oh, to, Guinness, yeah. that's yeah. a very different movie. Um, having to uh, yeah. <laughs> blow up his work that he's so proud of, even though right. it's for the enemy. Um, mm -hmm. It's. And having to realize he has to destroy this thing that he kind of loves um, for the good of the war is, is, um, is yeah, it's it's a great performance by him. It's a great, great movie. Um, right, what am I going to choose for my first trailer? Okay, I'm going to take the movie very, very differently. Um, I am going to go for, actually, I'm going to go for the tra a trailer for a documentary, but a very long documentary, speaking of um, my uh, Flanagan. Um, but I'm going to go The Civil War. Ken Burns from 1991. Oh. The year 1862 would introduce two great forces into the Civil War, unspeakable slaughter and Ulysses S. Grant. It was in the West that Grant hammered out difficult Union victories, and for the first time at Shiloh, battles became bloodbaths. It was just a disorganized, murderous fistfight, uh, 100,000 men slamming away at each other. In the East, the ineffectual generalship of George McClellan turned victory into death and defeat. Everything went on as if nothing had happened, for death is so common that little sentiment is wasted. It is not like death at home. And the bloodiest day in American history transformed the war into a struggle for higher principles. Because the opening, with the, because I have the Eureka set, mm -hmm. yes, and I have this very kind of southern of the time music, and there's one of these title cards that came up of talking about Buster Keaton. He loved two things, his engine, and then it pans to a shot of Marilyn Mack, who is his love yes. interest in it. And all I could think of was Ken Burns going, oh, this is like the Ken Burns documentary. This is, he, he stole that kind of moving the photo into frame, um, which yeah. he, that is... 10 hours of moving photos into frame. Um, about 10 years ago, <laughs> I became very obsessed with anything Ken Burns did. Um, mm -hmm. And there's a laconic, it, it ramps up. I mean, this movie is not slow paced, but that beginning, it kind of mm. captures that, what the self kind of liked to think itself. Well, this movie is what the self right. liked to think itself of, but that beginning is this very kind of slow, everyone's kind of laid back, everyone's chilling, and then the war starts. And yeah. um, I just, because, I have watched that 10 hour thing. Um, I think it's, it was really long, even more than 10 hours. Um, I it's also like to think of though. It really is. It's oh, kind of like, it's a historical document in itself. Um, mm -hmm. Just the way it sort of captures 
the letters of the men who were fighting, the women who were nurses left behind. Yeah. Um, even I think he even has slave testimonials in it. It's yes. um, it's a really really think, impressive piece of work. And I think uh, Shelby Foot, I yes. found really impressive in that. That's the voice um, I heard. I, I, yeah, <laughs> and I and I've read um, I've read volumes one and two mm. of his you know sort of epic civil war they're massive they're so yeah. big uh, they're sort of the narrative story of the entire war um, and um, from both sides and it's uh, that's one of the things that I I you know I'm obviously we we watch this movie now and go uh, they're kind of glamorizing the south and that's kinda, something i'm going to get into yeah, yeah there's we'll a weird thing in the about that. 20s and we'll 30s that. hollywood you yeah. you're doing some things but um yeah. oh, i mean Buster Keith, it was just but, a, but i have a thought about it too i have yeah, a thought I, about it too I me mean, too it has to do with kind of what you just said mm. um so about about the things that he actually cares about yes um which kind of put things in context a little bit that make it work for me still um so we can talk about that when we get yes. to that yes we <laughs> can great... yeah oh man i i really like that documentary i haven't seen it in a while me neither um, but but boy i just was transfixed on it um all the way through it when no. they did sort of like a anniversary release of it or something oh cool because i haven't seen i haven't seen it for absolutely yeah. years but shelby foote's yeah. voice stays in my head every single time the civil war comes up um yeah, and, and that music and david and, mccullough of, yes as, as the narrator that's all i can think of david mccullough's the narrator going he loved two things yeah. <laughs> his engine <laughs> and then i'm like come on and i'm like i have to choose <laughs> the civil war as the trailer <laughs> Yeah, that's um, fantastic. Yeah, I mean, he always has great narrators. I love um, what I know about a lot of American history usually comes from Ken Burns because I love the fact that mm -hmm. he will try and use primary sources when he can. And I think that's yes. really important when you are dealing with uh, making something as an historical document, which he does over and over. Um, Brian, what is your second trailer? Okay, so um, this was a little bit, you know, I had a lot of options. Yeah. And I don't I've... want to say any of them just because, you know, in case you mention one of them, yeah. maybe after you mention yours, I can throw a couple more out. But yeah, um, I went with uh, a person who uses their stunt work uh, to great comedic effect. I was hoping. Yep. So I picked a Jackie Chan movie. Yes. <laughs> and I chose one that uh, an American one. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay, cool. Um, that has a Western feel. I picked Shanghai Noon. Now, stay. <laughs> the only help he can find... Reach for the sky, ladies and gentlemen! ...is an outlaw. Do exactly as I do it. Yeah! <laughs> ...who's no help at all. All right, I'll do it. Do what? Help you rescue Princess Pee Pee. Hey, hey. <laughs> we are partners. Shake on it. You're not in the East, okay? You're not in China. This is the West. You two got 10 seconds to come out of there. Give us a minute. Are you crazy? I hate you. No. Nice. This is actually a little perfect than my Jackie Chan idea. Um, I was hoping okay. you'd pick one because then I can use my other one and I'm going to, yeah, my other there idea is, for a trailer. But I don't think there's any other modern artist who uh sort of captures the spirit of buster keaton 
for me more than Jackie Chan does. Uh, just, you know, that idea of doing all your own stunts um, and the comedic timing involved, uh, the, the work that he goes into making everything so precise yes. is, is so much the way Buster Keaton worked um, mm. with all his stunt work. Um, and, you know, because, I, I mean, you have these things, you're like falling from several from a great height falling he on did, his back you know, and, and yeah these, yeah, yeah. And, and you know breaking his back in one mm. movie i can't remember which one was it sherlock jr yeah sherlock jr he had too much water fall on him at the same time and he had to go yeah. lie down for three three weeks and go i wonder what that was yeah <laughs> this is and, and what didn't like a doctor check him years later and say years later go you when did you break your back and he went i never broke my back he's like yeah you did yeah, see this x-ray <laughs> A uh, so, little bit inched uh, up and down, you would have been dead. <laughs> it's just like, it's wild. Because in that, if you, when you watch that shot, he falls, all the water gets on him, mm. and he stands up and he runs. Yes. As fast as he ever does, you know, which is like one of the my favorite things to just to see Buster Keaton do on screen is just run. Yes, he's so quick. Uh, and we'll talk about that. Yeah. But um, yeah, so for me, Jackie Chan is sort of a... Um, a direct descendant probably the, mo the most direct descendant i can mm. think of no of, he, uh, he absolutely is because i know buster keaton. yeah i know every john wick movie likes to reference buster keaton at the beginning to sort of say yes we even though this is what uh, john wick's more hand-to-hand -hand combat um same with jackie chan um we acknowledge that this guy came first and this is kind of what we're referencing um and then jackie chan because i was thinking of police story purely yeah. for the fact that you have these massive stunts where he's doing hanging off a bus with an umbrella and actually doing mm -hmm. stuff like that and then you'll have these little moments when he's trying to answer five phones at once um right. and the same kind of techniques are being used on both kind of things but no i love i love shanghai i haven't seen shanghai nights in years actually i need to rewatch yeah. it <laughs> i mean shanghai noon is clearly oh, shanghai not, noon, sorry, know, yeah. ja ja jackie chan's best movie or anything mm. but it it has sort of that western thing going on you've got the trains you've got all that stuff I, mm. so i think it it just sort of worked as a feature to go with the general um in my mind probably better than some of the others maybe yes no you're right that is absolutely yeah. um i i love that a lot um which frees me up to use uh my second trailer which is mad max fury road oh nice it is by my hand you arise from the ashes of this world I want them back! They're my property! Oh, what a day! What a lovely day! Wanna get through this? Let's go! Which yeah. kind of, in terms of a director, I, George Miller is kind of another descendant of um, Buster Keaton in the sense of how mm -hmm. 
he his stunt work, his choreography on screen in terms of how movement works and the fact that his stunts will often go wrong. And you can see that in the first two Mad Maxes, especially um, Road, uh, Road Roar, when you see a guy kind of go one way and you're like, was he meant to go that way? I thought he would have gone over the straight, but he kind of goes to the left and you're like, mm, sure. ouch, um, when he's falling. Um, but yeah, no, uh, like, because I kind of, I'd seen the general like 10 years ago and I'd actually forgotten that most of it is a train chase and Mm -hmm. watching Fury Road, which is just purely a chase movie. And it is all about the kinetic kind of stunts, things going very fast, um, people kind of moving on top of moving vehicles and everything like that. And it's really similar in structure to what the general is doing. And Mm -hmm. I haven't read if he had seen the general if he knows buster keaton's work or anything like that but it'd be fascinating kind of like how we were talking about did wes craven ever see m and then after we recorded you right. found this little article saying oh yeah he had totally seen m <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i wonder if that's kind of a similar situation but it's kind of, but yeah mad max fury road is kind of a perfect movie and purely on the technical level and i love the fact that the actors had no idea and i know tom hardy and shirley theron found it a really difficult shoot because they just did not understand what george miller was trying to do and they thought it was going to be the worst movie they were in and when they saw it they went oh this is one of the best movies we've ever been in (laughs) when it was finished so yeah that is my trailer and with george miller i mean being as tried and true as he was by the time he made fury road i mean he obviously had it all in his mind how it, he may not have been very well done a very good job being able to communicate that to mm. actors exactly but you know hey it, it ended up there um, yes i have seen it once and it's been a long time and i know i need to revisit this one yeah I, this is sort of this is sort of a, one of my shames that i kind of didn't get it when i saw it the first time because oh. i didn't watch it in a very um it wasn't a very good environment to watch it. Uh, yeah. To be honest, I was I was you know hanging out with my brother who I don't see very much, and we were talking through the whole thing. So I didn't really see it, if I'm being honest. Um, so I'll need to. It's definitely one I need to check out again. I just need to watch the whole series because I've never seen Beyond Thunderdome. So I gotta gotta fit that one in, I guess too. Oh, <laughs> Even though I... I hear that's not that's kind of the nadir of the series I hear, but Yeah, I haven't seen it since Thunderdome since I was a kid cuz that was the one that was always on TV and I just remember Tina Turner. So I think I need to rewatch mm-hmm. that again, but I just yeah, recently watched the first two couple of years ago and then when I finally got around to Fury Road, I was like, what is he is this going to slow down? No, okay, he's just the speed's obviously just ramped up. This is he's guns. doing a thing. Yeah. It's it's not going to slow down and it does have a very similar energy to um the general um which we are mm-hmm. about to get into this i still can't believe they someone i know that uh buster keaton was very much independent when he made this movie he did not make this in the studio system um but i still can't believe that someone let him make this movie good evening this is orson wells and it's my my great pleasure to introduce this evening in this series of great silent films, one of the great films of all time, one of my favorites, The General, by and with Buster Keaton. He was, as we're now beginning to realize, the greatest of all the clowns.
well. <laughs> it's just get a whole bunch of trains. We're going to crash them. We're going to do damage. We're going to climb all over them while they're moving, like not yeah. like quick cuts, which we'll get into the differences when we get into runaway train and how they kind mm -hmm. of deal much more close camera. But yeah, he just went and made it with a whole bunch of trains and the the oh my god the fact that there had to be injuries on this movie they could you could not and i'm not talking about just keaton i'm talking I about can't imagine everyone else yeah. yeah yeah uh it's it's really something i mean i and you think about a time like 1926 when they made this mm. um you can't fake this stuff you can't the way you could even you know with rear projection and stuff a few years later um, I mean, re rear projection and different things like that was happening then, mm. but it's clear that that's not happening in this movie. <laughs> no, because there are so many long shots of them stopping the yeah. train, getting off, doing something else, getting back on, yeah. reversing it. And the camera's just um, a very 1926 thing. The camera's just staying still. Like, it's not moving mm -hmm. all that much. Um, I talked about when it moved to the photo, but that's really about it. I mean... Keaton, know, uh, Keaton knows that he just needs to hold the camera and then just let the action kind of happen on the train. But so you're watching every kind of little detail without kind of break. And it's fascinating yeah. to watch. Um, the amount of times they reverse the train is hilarious. I just get giggling every single time. I go, oh, we're going backwards oh, now. it's so funny. It's so funny. Because um, they had to get everything back into position, but they weren't mm -hmm. cutting it. And yeah, you can't fake the stuff they do on this train. Um, there's a reason why one of the posters for this movie is him on front of the train as it's moving forward when he's like mm -hmm. trying to clear the debris on the track that's it's... that's probably my favorite part um, yeah that it was it was the first thing i saw from this movie it was like <laughs> uh it was on you know some roger ebert thing he was just talking about silent films and um he showed that moment where keaton picks he gets off he picks up the tie the railroad railroad tie mm. and and he's holding it he's prepared and he throws it and it hits the other one and knocks it off the track yes and i was like they really did that yeah and it was just like it it kind of blew my mind i was like i have to see this guy's movies uh i have to see this one for sure mm. um but then you know that just kind of started me wanting to see everything that i could of keaton mm. um because and honestly, this one isn't even my favorite Keaton film. No, it's not um, mine either. <laughs> Which yeah, is kind of weird to say, but, but yeah. But, uh, you know, it, it works as a double feature with Runaway Train. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, it really does. <laughs> you know. uh, uh, so, so I mean, it was just kind of like, you know, what, what, what are we going to do here? But um, it's, but it's such a great film. Yeah, and, it really. Uh, you can see its influence. You can see, um so much of what is sort of the i guess the epitome of of um of keaton as an artist in a lot of ways mm. are are these the stunts that are in this the the comedic gags i mean i love that because i think he, i was reading your letterbox review and you said something the moment where he uh turns because the kids are following him down the street like yes they're like they're ducks following their mother right yeah. you know and then and then annabelle lee sort of joins the line yes and, and he and he takes them inside and they follow him in and he he leads them out and then closes the door on them so that he and annabelle can be alone mm. it's it's very funny i mean just all that 
comedic timing that he puts into that. Mm. Um, you know, those kinds of great gags. And then one that strikes me always is where he's just feeling kind of glum because she's like, you know, join up, you know, man up or, or I'm leaving you. Mm. And uh, he goes and he sits on the, the, like, I don't know what it's called. Like the, the, the bar that joins connects the, all the, the uh, wheels yeah, to the train. Connects yeah. All the wheels of the yeah. train together. He sits on that and the train starts going and he's just going up and down, and up, up and down, and down, up and down. <laughs> I mean, it's just brilliant. Yeah. And, and really is I, stone face you know the stone face and the one i actually really gag i love this time is when he's trying to enlist because you find out very yeah. quickly on they're not yes. gonna let him because he's an engineer and uh-huh. trains they are engineers, they yeah. need engineers so he's not going to be be able to go fight and he's they he really is showing off his height in in this movie because everyone else is taller he was a very short uh-huh. man um mm-hmm. and you can tell in his movies he never tries to hide it once and he's constantly um literally measuring himself up against other men like how do mm-hmm. i hold up and except for that one guy where he actually has to bend a little shorter to get to his height <laughs> it's just a really yeah. nice gag of him trying to get in line and then just constantly yeah it's he's was the master at these kind of small gags that you'd expect to see in a lot of say charlie chaplin mm-hmm. uh, Char- yeah Ch- chaplin's kind of movies um, which he was amazing at these kind of quick kind of movements, almost like he's a magician. Um, and then, but then he's so good at it because he's just got that stone face, doesn't change, um, his expression at all, which again, a lot of physical comedians have taken on that. Um, yeah. if you think of say, um, oh, I can't think, oh, I can think of Mr. Bean, but he actually does have one facial expression and it's horrifying. Um, but Ron Atkinson, but he does mm-hmm. sort of understand those quick kind of contained kind of movements. And it's just really funny and it sort of says mm-hmm. everything about what this movie is going to be is whether he is he going to be man enough to be able to fight in this yeah. war because he's considered the intelligent one and as you go through the movie you realize um intelligent a very specific kind of intelligence is considered less than because it's sneaky it's not right noble like mm-hmm. um i love how the union because that's set in the south this is from the south point of view um it's kind of weird now to see the South as the good guys, um, which not to say the South isn't has anyway. I'm just going to give myself a hole. Anyway, the South wanted states <laughs> rights for slavery. Yeah. Um, good. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but it's kind of weird to sort of see, oh, wait, we're with this thing. And the union guys are sneaky, underhanded and want to um, kind of sabotage the railway um, in it. And they're kind of seen as these like uh which we love spies now spies are a great way we love james bond and the Bourne movies and mm-hmm. all that kind of thing but in 1926 it was considered a bad form it was considered rude <laughs> which i can understand i mean especially yes. you know i i think you know there's sort of this southern uh uh integrity i guess you yes. know where they're like you know you 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 uh you're you're up and up you're on the up and up you're never you're not sneaky and you're not underhanded uh, mm. you know you're going to um, say what's on your mind constantly and yeah yeah and and be um, truthful and honest and yeah mm-hmm. on, honorable right right yeah I, I guess honor is probably more you know mm. uh the the word i'm looking for and um so yeah i mean there there and that, and that's the thing but here's the thing um what i i'm still able to enjoy this movie mm. um because it says right at the beginning that uh, Keaton's character, you know, Johnny Gray, mm. doesn't 
I mean, I know, obviously that's supposed to be a, a Confederacy kind of reference in its own right there. Yeah. But um, he only cares about two things, his mm. train and his girl. Yes. Nothing else. Nope. He's apolitical. He has no belief in anything except for his train and his girl. Yes. And everything he does in this movie is for those two things. It even is. When he, even when he is sort of promoted and becomes a lieutenant and all those things, it's for her. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's not for any other reason. Um, so I, I guess that's why maybe I'm putting my blinders on when I do that. But, um, you know, because I mean, obviously what the confederacy stood for was evil uh, yes. <laughs> so i'm not i'm not excusing it um but i think i can find myself still enjoying this movie in a way that i can't enjoy something like i don't know birth of a nation uh, which is just a horrendous um disturbing and disgusting film it you is know? Uh, even at the time i was kind of surprised at the time it's people at the, people at the time in 1918 yeah. or 16 whenever that movie was made was like going yeah some dude yeah, yeah. and he's like yeah. i'm not racist well, i'm like uh yeah the, the evidence comes the evidence says you are and so we had to make another movie yeah. to say i love the world i'm like yeah griffiths yeah, don't right. <laughs> and, even, even, and even that movie is kind of like yeah but <laughs> really <know>? um <laughs> Yeah. Well, I mean, the, and but then you have responses that you have like Oscar Michaud and mm -hmm. uh, able to make some of his films, though his are not as well known, of course, as Griffith's uh, today, but um, they're gaining some some notoriety, thank goodness. But um, yeah, so the general just feels separate from that for, to me, though, it in a does. lot of ways. Yeah, I think because, yeah, because I didn't think of that because I was too busy thinking of Shelby Foote when that came up that first title card comes up the two things he cares about are his engine and his girl um <laughs> yeah. it's very very true and this is a civil war if slavery was never a thing this was not about right slavery. there are no slaves in there this are movie. no slaves no people of color no nothing <laughs> yeah. so if you don't know anything about the civil war and you're watching the general you're going yeah. oh so they were just there were obviously other reasons why they were mm -hmm. other reasons that could have gone into yeah. the reason why they were fighting and yeah so it is kind of a very apolitical movie when you put it like that it even is. though yeah. when you do watch it you're like going well actually i'm gonna be that person <laughs> but you can enjoy exactly. it because it's not like birth of a nation um which i still haven't seen the whole thing i don't know if i ever will because i think it'll just make don't me too uncomfortable it. you're, you're um <laughs> it's throwing it in your face so despicably yeah. that you're just like yeah. going oh okay that's yeah a take um and so I think you can kind of in your brain compartmentalize it so you can just enjoy the fact that this is a movie where someone steals his train and steals his girl and he needs to go get those back. It just happens to be in the middle of the Civil War. And it was during an actual uh, battle, wasn't it? The Chattanooga? That was an actual battle? Oh. I think something I read? Yes, I, yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hadn't thought about that, but yeah. Um, so, I mean, there there's some some things in there that are you know would really happen you know like tearing down the telegraph wires mm -hmm. um for example that was one um there are a lot of great gags i mean just from during the chase from like things that would happen in the war yes like the cannon you know they used actual cannons with, yeah. <laughs> yeah i know he used a real freaking cannon it's like what were you i was like 
there had to be kind of like a fake canon you could have made in nine. No, Buster Keaton was a realist, even though he was a comedian, and everything you see in this movie is real. And there was an actual cannon on fire pointing straight at him, and I was just like going, oh my god. Yeah. And the, the timing required to hit that turn and for that cannon to fire so that it would miss his train and hit the other one. Yes. Is pretty unbelievable. It, really unbelievable. The um, engineering that had to go into this movie is insane. I mean, yeah, we yeah. talk about going back to Jackie Chan. We talk about how his movies are constructed because since he was so stunt heavy, there is a very specific way they had to time everything to know when he was going to yeah. jump, when he was going to, if he was in a fight, what he was actually doing. And then you go back to Keaton and then you realize, oh, we, yeah, the, the train, the cannon had to fire, which they were using wicks and had to turn a corner just as, so the cannon could fire in, the, in a different direction. And when you realize that, and Keaton's movies are all about timing. If that timing is wrong, Mm-hmm. One, the gag doesn't work, and two, people are seriously hurt. Like, I was watching um, for the first time, because um, I was like, oh, the general's amazing, and I want to watch another Busting Geek movie. Finally saw Steamboat Bill Jr., and did not realize oh, yeah. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that was the Storm movie. Like, I'd heard, and I didn't know that was the one when he's standing there, and the house, or the, the not the house, the... The greatest stunt of all time. Yeah, the one the falls. front of the house falls, yeah. falls over, and he is... And the he the wind it lands with the window around. Him. Yes, yeah. and that is the greatest yeah. stunt. Like because that is you, the, and, and it's been parodied in everything. My gosh, yes, Tunes, cartoons, everything uh, have done that. I mean, um, even in something like the Dirty Dozen, there's a reverse where they lift the 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 um front of the house through um, Lee Marvin, and he's just like, okay, and I'm like, ah, I see what you did there. But no, I didn't yeah. realize it was that that movie. And when you're watching. Again, some of the stunts, they are all about timing, people needing to be in the exact position because you have literally sets being pulled apart. So if that yeah. debris can get you, and that thing when it falls is not like a light thing. I mean, it could have killed, if no. it hit him, it would have. It would have smashed him. Yeah. yeah. And you can see the weight of it. Yeah. When it hits. And it's the he said it's the one stunt he ever did that actually made him nervous people left the set they're like i'm not watching you die <laughs> that yeah. was pretty much the yeah um yeah. and you can see him if you watch really closely you can see him tighten his shoulders in just a tiny bit yeah and it's like the only time he ever even flinched in the slightest yeah in any of these things and it's and it's like can't blame him cannot blame him um, because uh, that that stunt is incredible that one uh, you know and and the other one being probably you know the one that's was replicated in uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, where you climb under the the car and hang off the yes. end. Except in, in, in you know in in the original stagecoach, you know, yes. where, where he jumps on the horses and yeah, and follows it. Ex- ex- yeah, yeah, exactly. Anyway, Those I, I, anyway, I, digressing. <laughs> anyway, but when digressing. you yes, when you watch a Kitty movie, you want to watch more because you get so excited because mm-hmm. you're actually watching mm-hmm. an acrobatic show. And Keating yeah. just is the master of that. He's this, I keep going. He's a tiny little man that's completely compact. And mm-hmm. um, he'd been, he was uh, born to do this. Literally, as soon as he was born, his father put him in a vaudeville show and started yep. throwing him around a stage. So this is a guy who um, literally lived and breathed, again, like Jackie Chan, who, who was in the um, 
is it the Shang? No, with the opera in China? I can't remember the exact name. Um, anyway, it was a circus. He grew up as a circus kid and could do... Peking opera? Peking opera, that's maybe. it. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Something like that. He, But he was, again, born to do this because he was like a child and grew up in mm. this environment and knew how to do it. Like when you watch a lot of Todd, Todd Browning movies because he kind of spent yeah. time in the circus, you can kind mm -hmm. of feel that through all his movies. Um, yes. Even in a few points in, in, in Dracula. And yeah. yeah, and it's just this kind of... Um, so when you just see these kind of things and yes, we talk about the civil war and what it actually means to us today and all that kind of thing. But most of the movie is literally this chase, like these yeah. soldiers come in and steal a train and they happen to find on his girlfriend. So they steal her, kidnap her. And he doesn't even know that through half the movie. He, they just know they've stolen his train and he will not stand for it. He's literally running down the track, which is such an amazing shot. Cause he just bolts. I know. <laughs> He's so quick. And watching him run, there is yes. nothing like watching Buster Keaton run on screen. Yeah. And oh man, I, I, just just the athleticism involved with this guy is incredible. Yeah, it's I kind mean, of yeah, it's kind of like when you're watching like uh, Gene Kelly dance because all you can see is yes. the muscle, and mm -hmm. that's the same with Buster Keaton. All you can see is this l muscle just tearing down that track and. Mm -hmm. it, it's kind of he's all instinct because all the townsfolk are going, oh, we're not going to run and catch a train. Um, but then so they go to send a telegram to say, hey, we've got this train that's kind of run away as we will get into with um, <laughs> the other movie. Um, mm -hmm. But you soon see that the soldiers are uh, destroying the track and also taking down the telegraph wires, which was mm -hmm. really, really clever because Keaton would also do that same thing. Um, like one of my favorite shots is when yeah. um i think is when he really destroys kind of like the changing of the tracks when they can kind of move yeah. in different directions mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. the union and he's already at the bridge trying to destroy the bridge so when they get there and they're still kind of at this kind of figuring out how to change the change track um yeah. and when he's just throwing stuff at the other train that's one of my favorite moments because he's it's kind of a repeat of when he was at the front of the train moving uh -huh. everything around but then you've got all these yeah. guys having to oh shit we're gonna get off the train we're gonna move all these boxes these logs everything like that because keaton's just constantly throwing throwing things that's one of my favorite gags in that because it's um it's great it's so great because he's also being shot at as well mm -hmm. um this i know this wasn't the first action movie but it kind of feels no. like it's the first action movie in the sense that how we know it because you're watching it it is so sure. familiar and he's the first time doing a lot of this kind of stuff where you're like oh yeah this is like when freaking filmed the car chase in french connection or when you're watching fury road or when you're watching all these mm -hmm. things you're like oh this yeah. this is where it started <laughs> yeah absolutely absolutely and you know i want to give a little credit too to uh marion mac mm. i think she's hilarious in this you know the stuff that she's doing she's just sort of the perfect foil for him in a lot of ways yes um I, you know like when she gets put into the gunny sack and all, all <laughs> some of these different things just, just the way she's playing off it all is so funny or or when she starts it's like she's she looks around at the train you know they're trying to stoke the fire yes and she's looking around and and she picks up this little piece of wood and throws it in the boiler Yes. And and he goes over and it picks up this little like matchstick size piece of splinter of wood and she takes it from him and throws it in the fire. Yeah. Uh is just hilarious. And you know, she starts sweeping it up because it's yes. too messy in too, there. Yeah. It's 
it's so much stuff that she's doing that is really, really funny. And uh, I think she's got a great sense of the timing as well. She just seems to get it. Like when she's trying to pull her through the window and her legs are kind of out, but her butt's kind of still in. And, yes. You know, it, it, it's it's great. It's so funny. It's and, so funny. And she actually does, well, not every single stunt, but she's like in a big hoop skirt climbing up and down the train, yeah. walking across, and you're just like, going, oh, Marion, geez, that's that's yeah. impressive. Um, And also she's, she's maybe not doing some of the most bigger. dangerous stuff, but she's doing some good stuff. She's doing some too. good stuff. Yeah. And yeah. yeah, she is really funny and has really great timing. Um, Like the whole sack thing. He's like emptying it and then he gets her in. She's like, why? Why am I in here? She's like, just get, get. <laughs> You know, almost pushes yeah. her head down. It's um, it's he's kind of it's a very sweet thing because he's almost infuriated. Uh, he does strangle her after the twig gag, which right. and he kisses, every every yeah, single time he hurts her, he kisses her. Which actually, right. I giggled at every single point he does that, which I felt very yeah. bad about. But it is yeah, actually very good timing. <laughs> Well, the thing the thing about it is also, you know, you you, you have to you're conveying these things through visual uh, visual means only. Yes, you, you, in a silent film, you know, I mean, um, obviously, it's not meant maliciously. When you see it, it's just kind of like, are you crazy? What are you doing? You know, kind of thing. Um, so it, it it makes it. Uh, I don't know. I guess I. This movie, I've heard, you know, don't start with the general if you're going to start with Buster Keaton, and I'm like. Okay, fair enough. It's the one I started with, and I it's love it. But one you know, I, hey. it's the one I started with. Uh, yeah. It was probably more than ten years ago now. I kind yeah, of realized too. I hadn't seen any um, classic. Uh, I wasn't. I liked. I realized how much I love movies, but I hadn't seen any of the older stuff. So I went through mm -hmm. the AFI as like a starting point. Of course, the general is on. Is the one Buster Keating movie that's on the AFI, um, mm -hmm. and it, even though it's not my favorite, like. I, it's probably maybe Sherlock Jr. But Sherlock Jr. is so good. Oh, so good. Um, yeah. But you can't not watch the general, not smile, not giggle, and not be completely amazed by what you're seeing. It is just yeah. a feat of everything. And when he's, I mean, he's working with actual fire when he's trying to burn down the bridge. And yes. it's, you're like, okay. Because we're so used to CGI fire out and complaining about it, but when you're actually seeing a person right next to fire, you're like, mm, mm -hmm. not a good idea. <laughs> Maybe we should just have the fake CGI fire and just yeah. live with it. Um, but, mm -hmm. and the way that train falls is so amazing and spectacular. You're just, you can, because yeah. it's real train, so you feel the weight of it just going crash. And, yep. I mean, I've got the new Eureka disc. So this movie looked amazing. It was so crisp and so mm -hmm. clear. You can see his um, facial reactions, which is usually the... I mean, he does actually have a little bit of more facial reactions. He's not completely stone-faced in the general. Because I don't know how you, he could play it. I think he, he there's an urgency to this movie that you need that isn't necessarily in his other, in his other movies. Um, mm -hmm. But it is still just an amazing feat of watching him almost invent something without knowing he's inventing it because he just has this idea of hey wouldn't it be cool if we did some train stuff and we could you know make it an epic civil war movie and it'll be great mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. he's kind of at a point in career where he maybe spend that much get people to give him money to make this um yeah. and then you kind of watch in the context of it being uh, nearly 100 years later and mm -hmm. you realize how much film has kind of taken from it more than his other movies. Yeah. Sure. You know, and 
I, I think just but Buster Keaton's uh, sort of work as a whole is sort of, uh, I mean, Chaplin gets a lot of credit. He does. And I think a lot of it's deserved. I mean, because mm. uh, you, you look at the AFI list, I think even the 2007 one, there are like four Chaplin movies on there. There is, yeah. Um, I mean, it's The Gold Rush, it's City Lights. Uh, Modern, Times. Modern Times. I can't remember the... Great, great movies. Yes. And Keaton gets one? Yeah. <laughs> and for me, that is so uh, harrowing and mm. so um, inventive. And the timing is just so spot on in every sense. Um, and combining the physical um, stunts with comedy so flawlessly. Um, and, you know, him being as much of an auteur, even though, I mean, obviously the directors are credited to other people. Yes. Usually. He was the driving force of these films um and so what he's doing with this with these films is just unbelievable i uh, just mind-blowing and i just kind of watched a bunch of his movies mm. all at once you know this was probably 10 or 15 years ago now mm. but um and was just completely awestruck with every single one and um and when my when my son was really little, I I, I started watching uh, some of them again, yeah. and I threw on the general, and um, and the next day I said, "Hey, can we watch?" He was little. I mean, mm. he was like four. Yeah. He said, "Hey, can we watch the Funny Train movie?" <laughs> um. Yes. <sure. laughs> you know, I mean, because it. I, I think. Which says something. I mean, for for something like a silent film, almost a hundred year old silent film, mm. to um, be able to uh, engage a four year old <laughs> is pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, and so I, I think that that was one of those moments where I went, man, this guy. I knew he was a genius, but to to have that kind of an effect still um, is is really something i think it really is because once the action really starts once the train has been taken yes there are very few title cards in this in this mm -hmm. movie and you find that with mm -hmm. a lot of buster keaton movies yes there's a few to start usually just it's a setup so you get to know characters yeah. who they mm -hmm. are why they're there and then all of a sudden the action will start and there's really just you're just watching pure visual things happening and you and it's done in a way that you can follow it and know what's happening and you don't need the constant um the solo movies never really had that much of explanation explanation into what's yeah. sort of happening um especially with the general i mean i know people say never start with the general but it's kind of like well actually it's a kind of good place to start with i mean yeah you might watch mm -hmm. other keating movies that you'll enjoy more more but this one is just because it's such a simple premise even though it yeah. was not a simple movie to make because you know thinking back i might actually start with sherlock jr yeah or or our hospitality yeah um which which are just you know they're charming they're funny there's you know <laughs> they, they just got to go for it yeah um, sherlock, sherlock jr kind of invents cinema i mean which i know it didn't but you just kind of watch it and you're just like <laughs> when he steps into that screen and, oh it, and, and just ever, another gag that that is that has been um done a lot so many times yeah 
you know, where, where, you know, that just showing using editing and drawing attention to editing yes. in a way that people hadn't really thought of, mm. you know, it's like, that's pretty brilliant. The way yeah. that is done. That is um, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like, it's like the first meta movie. Yeah. But b- you know? before movies had even really had a chance to mm-hmm. like, I don't know. It's kind of hard to describe Sherlock Jr. But you're just watching it going, yeah. is this real? Wait, how? Yeah, there's so and so many amazing little gags. And then you're watching him doing yeah. some stunts that look like they might have some reverse projection going on when he's on the bike. And there's like the sidecar thing. And he's like leaping from. Am I remembering right. that? Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, you, I, I, I still don't know how we did that. I mean, there's so much in that movie in all of them. I mean, there's. The thing is, there's not a Buster Keaton movie you can watch and not go, oh, I recognize that in something else. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. Because cause he has been sort of eternally, you know, parodied and sort of uh, alluded to and ripped off, yeah. you know, over the years just, <laughs> in lots of different ways. Exactly. You know? um, just more quietly, because when people kind of take off Chaplin, it's mm-hmm. very obvious what they're doing because it's the yeah. Tramp character. And he's mm-hmm. very recognize he's a very recognizable silhouette where this buster keaton doesn't necessarily have that silhouette but it's more yeah his he actions. had the pork pie hat you know yeah sort of his his thing but you know yeah um but he doesn't have that in this movie which no. i think is interesting it's very interesting actually like oh yeah, my god the I hat gag and, about that yeah the mm-hmm. hat gag and steamboat oh my god mm-hmm. <laughs> sorry i just yeah. remember them trying like six different hats none of them work and he ends up with the beret at the end i'm just like genius um yeah just oh my god but no this yeah it's kind of where there's this amazing um on the eureka disc there's two introductions one i didn't watch one i watched with orson wells which is kind of oh gosh amazing yeah. i've seen that one yeah yeah of course because orson wells actually met of course orson wells met the guy the man is the most was the most notorious name dropper on the planet um yes, except for maybe uh, he was peter bondonovich who i love as well which obviously he learned <laughs> from orson wells <laughs> yeah, he, he did he certainly did yeah um because yeah of course it's like when i knew him then we would do it's like of course of course you met him orson. and then he would go on to do a spot-on imitation he did you know, that's one of the things i loved about bogdanovich rest in peace <laughs> yes but, um yeah it's it's um it's kind of amazing but he does kind of give this kind of thing and when he's kind of talking about because orson orson wells one of my favorite filmmakers was the biggest mm-hmm. snob on the planet. Again, he was <laughs> yeah. um, talking about kind of where he got his start. And he was with, he worked a lot with Fatty Arbuckle, who was kind of the, mm-hmm. in the very early twenties was the, or even before the twenties was the biggest comedian, even before Charlie Chaplin or Kate Keaton and everything sort of came up. And he goes, he was much more of an aggressive comedian. And, um, and you're sort of watching his stick and you're like, oh yeah, I recognize again, there are things that comedy have gone through time and you're still recognizing all these kind of things, sure. but it's much bigger and much more broad. Um, and just the way I just, I just like how Orson Welles was just inducing him going, this is the civil war movie of civil war movies. <laughs> just like going, yeah. Yeah. I, love, you know, I have I, a hard time too... arguing with that. I, I, mean, I really do actually. Yeah. And in a weird way, it's, it's kind of one, even though it's from the South's perspective that it ages better than some of the other ones. I mean, you think about, it you know, does. Gone with yeah. The Gone with the Wind's got it's he's got issues, of course. Mm. Um, uh, and you know, the aforementioned movie that I don't need to name again. Um, you know, it's um, this this one I think still holds up, uh, for the most part. I mean, obviously, you know, it'd be nice if if the 
if it was switched and he was fighting for the North, but you know, hey, it is what it is, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, well, no, um, it, but, you know. Yeah, I mean, I remember, I can't remember where I heard it from. I think it was Khan, I can't credit it, but I know it definitely wasn't my thing, but she was, it was a female film critic talking, um, I think it was the Canon or something, um, the podcast with the talking about different oh, yeah. movies. Was and it, they were. Um, um, Amy Nicholson? Yeah, Amy Nicholson. She was actually talking about um, the general, and she was talking about how in the 20s, 30s to 40s, a lot of Civil War or American War movies were from the Southern point of view. It was kind of like yeah. this... She described... There's a quite, romanticization of it all. Exactly. And almost an atonement yeah. to sort of the... for Because of the North saying, we're sorry we had to do this to you. So we're going to make... Mm. And this romantic, great romanticism. I mean, the epitome has gone with the wind. And if you ever want to hear an amazing breakdown, there are interviews Spike Lee gave when he was talking about Black Klansman. Mm-hmm. And he's talking about the other movie we're not going to talk about again. And then also yeah. Gone with the Wind, where he's actually stealing... Not stealing. He's lifting actual sweeping shots from Gone with the Wind and kind of turning them over because it's about the, of course, the racism. But he sort of was sort of talking about how he loves every single shot in Gone with the Wind, but he hates the movie. And it's... Which I understand, yeah. Yeah. And... It's, it's it's like, you know, I'm, because, I'm, geez, both of those movies are, from a craft perspective, yeah. are impeccable. Mm. You know, um, they are... Uh, two of the greatest films. I mean, when you talk about craft ever made and mm. it's not even close in some yeah. ways, you know, um, because in a lot of ways, Birth of a Nation was, you know, sort of Citizen Kane of its day, you know, it was pulling it was... all these things together, all these different mm. techniques of filmmaking into one place for the first time. And just sort of being this, there was a first really important epic of its type and all kinds of things but it's just a despicable film yes. <laughs> you know um especially you know after the first half i mean the second half is just brutally horrifying yes um in in its racist depictions um and then you know gone with the wind you have all these all these uh, again the craft of it with um Victor Fleming and mm. you know the various directors that worked on that movie um but and the, you know the acting because I mean I think that uh oh god I uh, name slipped Lee? out of my head no the other one. Oh, <laughs> Olivia de Havilland my my girl no no Olivia, no, yeah. no not Olivia oh uh, actually yeah Brent Butler oh uh freaking name sure, I just god. did an episode on a movie he was in yeah. um Far out. Yeah, I know the guy you're talking about because I just did yeah. friggin' it happened one night and he's also in that McClark Gable. Clark Gable, <laughs> goodness sake. Why, why can't I think of, couldn't think of Clark Gable? One of the biggest movie stars in the I'm, I'm getting too old. But, I did the um, same thing. <laughs> but his performance in that movie is remarkable. Yeah. And it's very not 30s style. It's very, it's, it's you know, I mean, so there's a lot that i mean the, the technicolor is gorgeous all these things that i love about gone with the wind mm. but then there's so much that it's just like oh man this is just cringy mm-hmm. to watch now um and it's a shame you know yeah. that 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 we um but i mean they <laughs> i can't imagine i can imagine you know people looking back at movies that are being made today yes. saying oh it's just a shame that movie 
deals with this in that way. Oh, yeah. It's something like you know, Pizza, which I love, but uh, yeah. I'm kind of wondering how that movie's going to be mm-hmm. seen in 20 years with the yeah. restaurant owner. Um, even at the, when I was watching it, you're like, oh, really? Did that need to be in there? Um, I know. But yeah. everything else about that movie is in just the filmmaking. Um, I'm still not sure how I feel about Licorice Pizza, but because t- Paul Thomas Anderson is Paul Thomas yeah. Anderson, that movie is impeccable. So, yeah, mm-hmm. you're going to get that. And going back to the general, I think the general captures all the sweeping things that you kind of get out of Gone with the Wind and also the other yeah. movie. But it mm-hmm. doesn't throw certain things in your face. So you, again, right. can kind of corner it in your brain and like going, oh, yep, okay, cool. I can, this is a story about a guy who loves his engine, loves his girl, and he, this is what this movie is about. And you do still get that sweeping um, epic war movie that you get from every other sweeping grand um, war movie yeah. that has ever been made. Um, yes, there are differences. Yeah. There are things that have changed, how the violence is portrayed, kind of everything like that. But every war movie, oh, I can't remember who said it. Um, every war movie, even there is no such thing as the anti-war movie because everything about it, the way the violence is portrayed, even if you try to make it horrific, is still glorifying it in a way. I think I think hmm. the I can't remember who said it, but he only said um, "Paths of Glory" is the only true anti-war movie. <laughs> oh, interesting. Um, I've I've actually heard yeah. the opposite. That oh, really? Great, that all great war movies are really anti-war movies. Yes. That's what I've that's that, that's what I more often hear. So that's an interesting perspective. But yeah, uh, "Paths of Glory" is one hell of an anti-war movie. That is, yeah. Yeah. Um. So I'm I'm a big fan of that movie. Yeah, um, me too. <laughs> but it's uh, it's my. Second favorite Kubrick, actually. Oh, oh, that that makes sense. Yes. <laughs> um, after two thousand and one. Ah, I would say my favorite Kubrick is his other anti-war movie, um, Doctor Strangelove. Excellent. Um, yeah, I yeah. I love that. I mean, that... It, it's hard to pick. It um, really it's, is. It, frankly, it's kind of like Keaton. It's hard to pick. It really is because it's mm-hmm. more you remember moments from his movies, not necessarily the whole thing, but right. Those moments are freaking amazing. <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, I think that's why it's, and the movies are so short. Yes. The, the ones that, that he did independently, at least. They're all so short. They're all just kind of, they snap right along. Mm. There's, um, you can follow them without, uh, these are great entries for uh, if you've never done silent film. Yes. Um, Buster Keaton, I think, is the way to go. Really? Buster Keaton or Harold Lloyd, maybe. Yes, any I. Of the, any of the great comedians. Who, yeah. Yeah. Can't really go wrong because I think I made a mistake. I want it was either Gold Rush or it was no, I don't think it was Gold Rush. I think the first silent movie I ever saw was Metropolis, which is a mistake. Oh God! Because that movie broke my brain. I, I freaking love that movie. I love that movie as well. But the first I, time I watched I, it, first silent film, whoa! Uh, it's long. It's dense. Hard to really grasp onto. Everything. Yes. Yeah, that's it's, a toughie. It's a work of genius, but the, especially if you don't know the rhythm of silent movies, especially silent dramas um because this thing is going to take it's a long ass time to do anything um it's it breaks your brain because you don't have the muscles it's kind of like silent movies especially um not the comedians because the gold rush is a really easy movie to get it's so freaking sweet and it's just it's so wonderful it's one of my favorite i think it's my favorite chaplain even though i know city lights and modern times and all that thing but i just like the simplicity of gold rush they're all uh, i mean those, those are great too yeah I mean, city lights city lights makes me weep at the end exactly yeah <laughs> um and the simplicity but it's 
when you're watching something like more Pandora's Box or kind of the big silent movie sure. ones that we still have left, there's a there's kind of like a thing in your brain you have to exercise. Um, yeah. And it's if you don't watch enough of them, you can kind of forget. You're like, okay, I have to watch this movie in a very different way than I do other movies because it is more yeah. about how the movements and the dramatizations. I remember watching kind of Greed for the first time. And I don't think I've ever finished sure. it. Because of that reason, I need to I go didn't back. Want. I I have seen greed. Yeah. Um, for for me, when you, it, a good entree, I think, into silent drama. Mm. Uh, you know, so after you've gotten your feet wet with the comedies, uh, try Cabinet of Dr. Caligari. Oh yes. I think yeah. it's again. It's not very long. It just sort of. Uh, it's a. It's a. It's weird. Mm. <laughs> it's kind of a horror movie, sort of. Tim Burton took most of his entirely. look from it, yes. So it is yeah, recognizable. Exactly. <laughs> it has something that, that you can link to. I think mm. um I think Nosferatu is another one that works pretty well for that. Mm. Um and then um I was gonna say one that's not horror is that's great for that is uh Murnau's uh, The Last Laugh. I, I think that is, a, yeah. It's a very kinetic camera work. Um or you know, another you know, like man with a movie camera. Yeah, I thought was really engaging too. Uh, so there are lots of ways in to silent film, uh, mm. but I think comedy is probably the the best way to to really kind of fall in love with silent film. Actually, yeah, because I know I did say the general probably good place to start with Keaton, but that's actually one of his longer movies. It's a hour twenty. Yeah, yeah. It's not. Yeah, so I mean, start with Sherlock Jr. is like sixty minutes. At sixty most. minutes at most. Yeah, yeah. you're in and yeah. out pretty quickly. So no, I think actually. Uh -huh. Your hospitality and um i agree with you and sherlock jr because you're in and out it moves mm -hmm. really quickly um you're kind of amazed at what you're looking at and it's very mm -hmm. very sweet and um you can kind of get used to the because all the great silent comedians are all about movement and all about kind of physical comedy and connected there's always ha something happening on screen um and the ideas they have are in the movements where this metropolis is a thesis on six different things that you're like going okay wait so i have to know things that were happening in 1920s germany religion now there's robots what what, what are the mushrooms for i don't understand what, what what movie am i in um don't start don't do me and decide because it's on netflix and, like 12 years fact, ago to watch it <laughs> and also also the fact that there are still things missing yes as complete as it is from metropolis it doesn't entirely make sense yet because oh. we're still missing in those few shots but i mean it makes more sense than it ever did before oh my god i can't it was, a, it was a, i can't imagine seeing it you know before 1980 or so uh and just being like i have no idea what's going on because it was just chopped to shreds yeah the best comparison i can have for metropolis before 1980 before they it was just chopped to shreds it was a massive bomb um yeah. fritz lang put everything he had into this movie and people just looked at it and went what the hell is which i can understand because yeah. it's it's a multi-meal movie the, so is um comparison is um leone's once upon a time in america which yes. was lauded at Cannes, and then the American distributor looked at it and went, you can't have a four-hour movie, and chopped it down to, like, just over 90 minutes? I haven't... Yeah, yeah I've seen that cut... How, how you could possibly do that with that movie, I have no idea. I have seen that cut once. I managed... Someone had a bootleg mm -hmm. of it, and we watched it, and I was like, this movie doesn't make any sense. And then, yeah. even now, parts of it are still not lost, but you can kind of tell which 
they can't there's still really rough moments you're watching it and sure. louis what's her name turns up and it's grainy as all hell and very similar yeah. thing but that's the only thing i can compare it to is just a thing but yeah. then luckily that didn't happen with a lot of keating's movies actually there aren't that many lost Keating's no movies. i mean it's even a lot weird. of his shorts even a lot yeah. of his shorts are still ex- in existence i mean some of them are really rough looking yeah but but even a lot of the short films like the single reelers are are still out there and some of them are really funny i yeah i gotta i gotta plug those too i'm glad that they throw those they tend to throw those onto those collections too yes you, they do you tend you tend because kino when they released them they include like two or three shorts on on each disc mm. um which is how i originally saw them because they were on they, they had this whole dvd series that was released it was all of keaton's features and each one had like two or three uh shorts on it as well that sort of related to the subject and it was awesome to see them that way um they never i I, only a few of them ever got upgraded to blu-ray yeah i know eureka's just put out a whole set Mm -hmm. of the of the of the shorts which i'm near to get my hands on um because i want to see if the how if they've actually managed to upgrade some of them um, but yeah, it's because the amount of movies that was lost or butchered or kind of not in the form that you're meant to see them, very few of those movies that we have. But Keaton, and maybe it's because um, with Keaton and Chaplin, they probably just got replayed in movie were, houses yeah. before. Yeah. Just the way movies were structured back in the 30s and 40s with sound is that you'd have a whole afternoon of watching newsreels, shorts, mm-hmm. a comedy, then your main movie. So maybe that's why they were preserved more than other other movies. And I think the fact, I, as I understand it, you know, Keaton owned the movies. Ah, that's always a, that's always a bonus. (laughs) So, I mean, I could be wrong. Yeah. Uh, I know he was working for an independent, but I mean, it was, they were, it was, you know. He could do what he wanted pretty much, which you can definitely see in his movies. This is not until he gets to MGM. (laughs) Right, right. And, you know, and then, um, you know, what did Chaplin do? I mean, he started his own company with a group of people, you know, he mm. started United artists. So, I mean, he had his own movies, he owned them. Mm. Um, so I think we're kind of lucky to have um, pretty much the canon of Keaton and Chaplin. Mm. Um, Very much so. Yeah. And, and that's not true of a lot of movies uh, from, from the silent era. So many of them are lost. Yeah. Uh, and it's really a shame. I mean, there are a few that that I just greedily wish would turn up in some vault in Argentina somewhere, like the lost uh, elements of uh, of Metropolis did. Um, because, man, I'd love to see you know like Browning's London After Midnight. Oh example. my God! There's this indie or, movie which I yeah. can't remember the name, but it's all about a guy who finds, literally, like in a vault, the the reels mm-hmm. for um uh, the midnight todd brownings um and the the scurry of people wanting this movie because yeah that movie lives in legend and you only have stills um you only have stills and i mean they they sort of they had annotations and they sort of did this this cut of it that is just putting the stills together and it was they showed it on tcm i was so disappointed they said because there's because they didn't left no explanation they just said london after midnight todd mm-hmm. browning 1927 i watched it and it was like it's just a bunch of pictures you yeah. don't have the movie and they didn't put it in the description mm, oh was, no <laughs> you know because i was like did they find it <laughs> you know um Every now and then things show up. I mean, yeah. like then Edison's 1910 Frankenstein uh, sort of got 
dug up somehow. Mm. Um, you know, things happen, but um, it's pretty rare now. Yeah, rare. I'm hoping that it's somewhere in a boot somewhere in Argentina. Yeah, like the that, visitor. <laughs> so, yeah. That and 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 yeah, yeah, or or you know, um, or <laughs> the the other what six hours of greed that are oh, lost. Yes, <laughs> you know. <laughs> That that movie. Who, no, I don't think anyone actually knows how long that movie is because uh, because it's just sort of legendarily. Is it nine hours? Is nine it, hours or something? I think six, yeah yeah because uh, you know? von Strong. No, I can't remember. Von, is it von Stromberg? I can't remember. Von, the, von Stroheim. Yeah. Von Stroheim showed it to yeah. the. I can't remember which studio was working because that was a studio movie, and mm-hmm. he showed him the footage, and they went, "We have to cut this," and he's like, "No, you are not." <laughs> and they're like, yeah. "We're cutting this. That we cannot show a nine hour." And I struggled with the four hour movie that greed is yeah, um i don't no. know how i would <laughs> go the nine the three hour version's long I, it's, it's really it, long it, you can feel it yeah yeah it's um, inventive but it's yeah it's a great film i mean yeah. there's no doubt about it but oh yeah and then yeah. you know i mean i'm hoping they find you know those the, the missing parts of greed and and uh orson welles original ending to <laughs> Ambersons. That's what and I want. London, yeah. London after midnight. Those are yes. my holy grails. Yes. But you know, <laughs> you tell me that you've got the the Probably ending to Ambersons, and I would, I will yeah. buy. I will spend so much money on that restored Blu-ray. Um, yeah. Because I love Ambersons. <laughs> exactly. um, but I love even, it as it is too. Yeah. Yeah, but you can see the switch. Yeah. <laughs> you can see that switch of like you everything's sure okay, and it's like this was not where this movie was going. <laughs> Um, but, now, anything else on the general you want to say before we move on? I, I Another... think we've sort of, I think we've sort, of, we've sort of gone into our whole film preservation rant and everything. Yes, so, very know, important. Let's preserve the films that we have. Preserve uh, thank the you, films. Thank, thank you, you, Marty Scorsese, and yes. all those who champion that uh, <laughs> because boys that needed. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. A film is not disposable, people. Film is. That's yeah. Right. We need. We need to preserve it. Even the most horrific, schlocky things. Thank you, Vinegar Syndrome, and the most um, and Force of Evil, which I thank fully Marty for. That movie would not exist if it wasn't for Marty Scorsese. Um, yeah. A lot of movies actually would not exist for Wake and Fright. Uh, you know, you think yeah. even even great films, something like Peeping Tom. Yeah. Would be would essentially be a lost film if not for. Uh, Martin Scorsese and I think yeah. that is I, what a crime that's a travesty the fact that we yeah. could have not had because just the first opinion was like this movie's icky mm-hmm. like yeah. this movie's a masterpiece <laughs> yeah <laughs> from a man who made multiple masterpieces <laughs> right that's right yeah um yeah so we need to preserve film because you do not know how people are going to see it in 20, 30, 40 years. Yeah. Um, yes, it will be a different viewing, but sometimes you will get um, Peeping Tom, and we need Peeping Tom in the world. Um, <laughs> right. Going all on right. to a movie that, oh my, okay, we're going to get into the canon. I'm probably going to get too much into the canon of it all, but I love this movie <laughs> to death. Um, we're going to be getting into 1985's Runaway Train. Now, Brian, what would your first trailer be for this movie? Okay, so the first one's a little bit of a gut feeling. Yeah. I think the prison of it all, um, some of that, some some certain feelings about it. Mm. Um, there are a couple of shots that made me think of this. Uh, that is uh, John Borman's Point Blank. Walker is an emotional, 
and primitive man. Do you remember when we met? Suddenly, we were together. Lee Marlin is Walker, the hunter and the hunted. Starring Lee Marvin. Oh, I didn't um, even think of this. This is fa- I love this. Yes. <laughs> yeah, like I said, it's, it was just sort of a gut feeling because I I I I'd yeah just seen this for the first time a couple weeks ago, and yeah. um, I had heard about it for a long time. I just hadn't mm. watched it, been on my shelf forever, that kind of mm. thing. But then I was watching. It's like, oh man, they're they're on Alcatraz, and I know they're not exactly escaping from prison, but mm. I mean, there's sort of this a sense of needing to escape from the rock. And um, there's a fever dream element to both movies. I would, yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. And you know, there's just there's this shot of um, Lee Marvin just walking mm. down this hallway, and all you can and you can just hear his shoes. Yes. And um, the clicking of his shoes and mm. it sort of cuts over these other things that are happening. I love that. Yeah. And uh, it just reminded me a little bit of there's of the shot of the warden in this movie, just walking down the hallway, you know, just sort of the way the camera is on him and he's got his two guards flanking him. And it just made me think, oh my gosh, it's just, it's like Lee Marvin in Point Blank. Um, so there was just something about it that, kind of gave me a similar feeling i don't know how connected they really are but there was something about it that just sort of struck me in that sense no there's a kind of a definite no i i completely agree with you and both of them feel like a fever dream like point blank yeah i mean you've heard the there's a definite reading of the movie that lee marvin never left alcatraz this is just kind of his sure final fever dream before he actually um died and this kind of not exactly the same reading but john what john voigt's character does at the end um when one of the most perfect final shots is oh yeah kind of this myth making Mm -hmm. fever dream-esque i'm not entirely sure which is kind of real and which isn't kind of feel to the whole thing um sure Point Blank is definitely more abstract, and I love that yeah. mo- this movie to death. Um, I saw it first time last year when I went on a Lee Marvin kick, which is always a good kick to yeah. go on. Um, I'm a little in, love with, little in love with him. And Point Blank feels like an action art movie, and it's yeah. mm-hmm. it's 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 amazing. I mean, when Angie Dickinson's like slapping Lee Marvin for five minutes, it's right. It's amazing. <laughs> it's, yeah. And um, no, I, I love this movie and I love this pick because I think, yeah, it's got this very specific feeling to it that I think matches Runaway Train mm-hmm. really well. So no, that yeah. is, yeah. Like I said, that's one of those sort of gut choices. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of went more basic with mine just because I was just loving the whole um, Alaska train going very yeah. fast thing. Uh-huh. So um, my first trailer, I'm actually going to go for Snowpiercer. Uh, Bong Joon-ho's from 2013. 18 years I've hated the train. 18 years I've waited for this moment. This is your world. The train saved humanity. The engine lasts forever. The population must always be kept in balance. I said sit down. 
passengers eternal order flows from the sacred engine. We must occupy our preordained position. I belong to the front. You belong to the tail. No your place. Keep your place. This movie caught me by surprise. I actually might want to say it was the first time I'd seen any of his movies. I don't think I'd even seen The Host um, for it. And because when you when I first heard the fact that they were making this movie, I thought it was the dumbest idea I'd ever heard in a movie. And then you watch Snowpiercer and you're like, oh, this movie's genius. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Especially about kind of, it's not a, it is an escape kind of prison because they're trying to, Chris Evans and his crew trying to get out of the caboose area, which is kind of where people who live in poverty and, as you find out, may have to eat a baby and all that kind of thing. And then it kind of when you go through the different stratas of society, it's through different carriages. And it's a really nice way of looking at it until you get to Ed Harris at the end and this incredibly Willy Wonka-esque nightmare. And... Um, no, I think it's such an inventive movie from an idea. When I first saw the trailer, I thought that that is not that's not a real movie. Someone made that up. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet. I have to admit, um, <laughs> <laughs> it's it's one of those movies like it's on my list, it's on yes. my list, and I just haven't seen it yet. It um, is such. I may have yeah. given away the thing with the baby, but no, that's fine. Um, I had actually heard that already. <laughs> I had. Yeah. I, I had actually heard that part already. Um. But it's such an inventive movie and the action is so great and actually way more violent than you think it's going to be. Um, mm-hmm. And it's got, I can't remember his name, but it's got uh, Bong Joon-ho, main guy, um, who's in Paris. It's actually in all of his movies. Sun something. Um, who's really great in it. Like he mm-hmm. almost changed, he almost looks different from what he usually does, what he can do in a lot of his other movies. Sure. Um, but yeah, no, I'd love to hear your reaction if, when you eventually get to um, Snowpiercer because it's a great And movie. I will. I mean, yeah. it's it's one that it's like one of those sort of egregious blind spots, mm. you know, um, that we all have. Yes. <laughs> I think oh, we I all have, have some. so many. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, okay, yeah. my next. Yes, what is your next trailer? My next choice, this was a tough one because I thought, okay, I think I've probably made it clear how much I love Kurosawa. Yes. And Kurosawa is an important um, element of this movie. It's based on a screenplay by his. I thought about playing high and low. But I changed my mind at the last second. So I threw that out there, you know, sort of a cheat. You know, Mm. a cheat. I'm sorry. But the movie that I really feel would make a great double with this Mm is Ron Howard's Apollo 13. Yes. <laughs> Does it bother you that the public regards this flight as routine? It's nothing routine about flying to the moon. I can vouch for that. Launch control, this is Houston. We are go for launch. The clock is running. Houston, we have cleared the tower at 13. Going to the moon. This is the crew of the Apollo 13. Wishing everyone back on Earth uh, a pleasant evening. Uh, Houston, we have a problem. We got a wicked shimmy up here. Houston, we are venting something out into space. It's- that is really great. Oh my God, I didn't even think about this. 
Houston, we have a problem. Yes, yes, you do. Because I mean, you've got, you've got, um, you've got sort of in both movies, you have sort of like these really three mm. uh, or four things going on at the same time, right? Yeah, you've got the people in the shit, you know. So yes. you have the people, um, you know, in the capsule, you know, who are actually going through it and have to do it. Then yeah. you have the, then you have the guys uh, in the control room yeah you know trying to figure out what to do and yeah. then you have kind of the people in the field who are actually sort of experimenting with things and figuring things out to make it work mm. right um and then apollo 13 has the element of the family as well yes um but <laughs> i think that uh there's just the cutting back between you know them on the train them in the control room and then you have the people in the field watching these things happen as they come by and it's it's just sort of the intercutting of it all the tension that that builds mm. in both movies is really i mean it's it's almost unbearable it is um, and i and i think these movies would be a stressful double feature but man, does it feel right to me? It really does. Because the thing with Apollo 13, you know what's going to happen in the end. Because this is based on an actual event yeah. that happened. So you know, um, spoilers mm -hmm. for Apollo 13, they're going to be okay. But because you're in this capsule in the middle of space, where literally no one can hear you scream, um, right. there is literally very little help that the um, NASA can actually do. I mean, yeah, they can kind of say, okay, try this, try that. Uh, Gary Sinise comes in and kind of figures out the space shuttle so they can actually do certain things it, with the situation they're in. Mm -hmm. But it's all theoretical. I mean, they're not going to know if it yep. works or not until those guys actually... Until it works, yeah. Until it works. Mm -hmm. until they and it. that is a terrifying um, thing to know that you have no control. What I love about what we'll get into with Runaway Train is... Um, there is no control anywhere in this movie that that you kind of just no. realize okay this train is completely going just off the well, you know, not completely off the rails it says very on the rails but it's about this train right. being out of control um and no one can stop it so you're already in this mindset of like well i have to see how this goes because no one is going to stop this train there is no way this train is going to stop at all um, and it's just about how the characters kind of deal with this kind of chaos and how they accept it in a way. Um, so I actually find Runaway Train less stressful than Apollo 13, even though in Apollo 13, there yeah. I know is what is meant to happen and what is going to happen. And I am more stressed than I am in Runaway Train, where you don't know sure. what is going to happen. It's kind of a weird... Well, what's yeah. funny it, with Apollo 13 is, even though I've seen it several times, of yeah. course, and... You know, I, I did. I assume they're probably not going to make a movie about this if they die. Yeah. Um, you know, when I saw it for the first time, because mm. I, I was not familiar with the Apollo 13 mission, mm. you know, before seeing the movie. Um, but every time I watch it, I still hold my breath during that, you know, the four minute black radio silence blackout when yes. re-entering the atmosphere at the end. I mean, it's still, it's just like, even, it doesn't matter that you know how it's going to turn out. The, the way, the way that, um, Howard and, you know, all the filmmakers involved, mm. um, make that happen. Yes. <laughs> it's just like, it, it's, it's, it's just like, it's incredible how effective it remains. Yes. Um, even after multiple viewings. 
Um, Howard doesn't. Howard and everyone else involved, and those three actors: mm-hmm. Hanks, Bacon, yeah. and um, I can't remember. Bill Paxton. Uh, Bill, uh, Mr. Paxton. I can't remember. I can't blank on his name. Um, they do an amazing <laughs> job of putting you in that capsule. I don't know what it is, but you feel like you're in there with them. And yeah, so when you do get that thing with the re-entering, it's like, oh god, oh god. <laughs> you you feel you it's feel incredible. every moment of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. It's, and so. It's 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 absolutely um, amazing. Um, okay, for my second trailer, I'm well, I'm just gonna keep it going basic. Let's go for very very fast things. Um, I'm going speed. Ninety ninety four. The underbun. All right, pop quiz. Airport gunman with one hostage. He's using her for cover. He's almost to a plane. You're a hundred feet away. What do you think? Shoot the hostage. What? Go for the good wound, and he can't get to the plane with her. For L.A. cop Jack Traven. Tell me again, Harry. Why did I take this job? Oh, come on, thirty more years of this, you get a tiny pension and a cheap gold watch. Cool. The game began. Very exciting, Jack. Some close calls, huh? When someone put the city of Los Angeles to the ultimate test. Pop quiz, hot shot. There's a bomb on a bus. Once the bus goes 50 miles an hour, the bomb is armed. If it drops below 50, it blows up. What do you do? What do you do? Perfect. It's perfect. a perfect movie, and yeah, it th- th- is. This, this, movie, this movie is speed on a train. <laughs> it is. I, there's no doubt about it. <laughs> So. They made it before speed on the train, but it is essentially, yeah, yeah you cannot go below the speed. <laughs> You're just right. gonna have to accept all the consequences. It's, um, it's, it's, it's incredible. It's yeah, it's it's absolutely amazing. It's like one of the best action. I love this action movie. It's just does everything you want again out of a premise. When I remember when it was coming out, everyone was like saying, "Really, a, 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 a bus that can't go below eighty miles an hour? That's dumb." Um, and then you watch it, and you're like, "This is one of the greatest movies ever made." Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's fantastic. And you know, I'm I'm a big fan of action movies that don't start quote action heroes. You know. Yes. So movies that are not when so you when you don't have your Stallone or your Van Damme or your Schwarzenegger mm. um you know, big muscle-bound kind of character when you've got Keanu Reeves and yeah. you've got who at the time, I mean, was not John Wick. No, he you was know, not. He was he was not that or neo he was like yeah he was still yeah. bill or ted i can never remember which he was, one he is he was ted yeah <laughs> he, was ted. He, was, he was still ted i think he he had done uh point break he, oh yes movie. yeah uh, he had yeah but but i mean even there i bet but even you know like like indiana jones indiana jones is the sort of the imperfect screw-up hero i'm making this up as i go i don't know yeah. what i'm doing mm. this could all fall apart in my hands at any moment mm. kind of character i like that i like you know john McClane, die hard mm. kind of thing you know where where you it feels like a real person in peril and that is kind of why runaway train works for me too is because john voigt and eric roberts and rebecca de mornay have no business being on that train come on go for it thanks youngster i owe you one hey manny take me with you they escaped together They battled the elements. They achieved the impossible. Smile, man, we're free! But their train to freedom was out of control. I don't know what happened, but there's no 
engineer on this train. There's nobody on this train but us. The brake shoes have burned off. The overspeed control must have gotten screwed up. Engineers do not just croak. You want to be a tough guy? You want to be a legend? Go back! Sucker, come on! Yeah, they are not action heroes, quote no. unquote action heroes. And this is in the middle of that whole thing. Yes. You know, 1985? I mean, yeah. come on. That's all you got. I mean, you, that was the height of Rambo and, and uh, you know, Commando and uh, all Big those beefy men. And, and those movies, Rebecca De Mornay would not be that, the smartest mo- person on that train. Actually, I mean, yeah, there's a sort of a comment when you get into it of like, oh, great, I have a woman on the train, which I'm like, okay, right. yeah, fine, 1985, what, yeah, yeah. Um, but she's actually the one that actually knows more than any, more, way exactly. than um, Voight and Eric Roberts. Um, yeah, she they're lit- clueless. She, they're clueless. Knows, she knows she, everything. Yeah. She knows everything that they need to survive. Um, yeah. And that would not happen in a, as much as I love Arnold Schwarzenegger, as much as I love Sylvester Stallone, that would not happen in those movies. Not in 1985. No. Yeah, the first time I saw this movie, I can't even remember. I think I don't even know why I watched this movie. I didn't... Um, seeing the Canon logo come at the beginning was a surprise. I was not even expecting this to be a yeah. Canon movie. Um, so I didn't know much about this movie. I heard it was good. I, I put it on, saw the Canon and went, wait, what movie is this going to be? Speaking of very specific action movies they made in 1985. Exactly. Um, mm-hmm. And what you get is nothing like the only thing Chuck I can. Chuck Norris or anything. This yeah. is not Chuck Norris. This is not Dudikoff. This is not um, uh, uh, Charles Bronson. Movies, this is not a know. ninja yeah. movie at all. <laughs> yeah. This is. Because um, have you ever seen the documentary Electric Boogaloo? Yes. Yes, because they do talk about this movie because they have a section of like, yes, they made all these movies you love. They are very canon. And then yet uh, go, uh, the two guys, Globin and Globus, um, actually wanted to have a real studio. Not a, not that canon wasn't a real studio. A studio that made all kinds of movies um, that they gave money to Visconti. I think it was for Macbeth. Um, I think it was Visconti. Anyway, anyway, they made some movies that were not part of the canon um, yeah, and they made yeah. a Cassavetti's movie. Cassavetti, yes. They, yeah, um, yeah, things like that. Yeah, and this is kind of part of it, even though it's kind of in the middle between what Cassavetti's made with Love Streams and yeah. what they made with Missing in Action and the Ninja movies right. and yeah. um, all those kind of things. Um, Frank and Aaron winking at the camera. This is kind of in the middle, it feels like. It's got this amazing... Yeah existential kind of misery kind of mm-hmm. um what's the point world is chaos you can't control it considering the fact we're just watching which the movie. i think comes from kurosawa of it all yeah it it you really kind of does yeah because I, I, I just rewatched uh throne of blood mm. um because i did a something for matter on Macbeth films mm. and um throne of blood i made me realize Kurosawa's movies are so much about chaos. Yes. There's so much about um, weather, things you can't control, mm. um, fate, you know, sort of, they're sort of barreling towards their fate mm. um, in this movie. You know, that, that all feels very Kurosawa to yes. me. Yes. And um, so I, I don't know how much of his script ended up 
on the screen and mm. how much of it is is the writers that are I forgot that this here. was a Kurosawa idea. I completely forgot. Yeah. I just remembered. Yes, the, yes, this is, and this is very Kurosawa. Yeah. yeah. So originally, uh, uh, this is just something I learned from from the trailers from Hell of this. Mm. Um, but apparently, the original cast, uh, Kurosawa was going to direct this. This was after Kagamusha. Yeah. Uh, before Ron. Uh, yes, because okay. Ron's 1985 as well. Yes. Oh, yeah, this is making yeah. so much more sense. I can't believe so I'm going to write this movie. It was, yeah. was going to be in that gap. Yeah. Because um, he was kind of he was kind of hot for a second in the U.S. This was going to be his first English language film. Mm. Um, was going to be Runaway Train, mm. and um, he was going to shoot in upstate New York with uh, Henry Fonda and Peter Falk and Karen Allen. I would watch the hell out of that version still. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. But the problem was the weather, uh, the actual, the snow was a problem. They couldn't, yes. they just couldn't do it. Mm. They just couldn't make it work. So um, he abandoned the project and went ahead and focused on Ron. One of the greatest which, movies ever made. <laughs> one of the greatest movies ever made. Okay. And I, I am okay with that. Yes. Because uh, Ron is... Uh, it's hard to pick, but probably my favorite Kurosawa. Hard to pick, though. There's a few big Kurosawas I haven't seen yet. What am I? Eternal shames. Not many, but oh yeah, Seven Samurai is still uh, sitting on my shelf. Um... Oh yeah, <laughs> that... uh, Seven Samurai is uh, probably my. Uh, yeah, it's, I realize it's I it's one of the greatest movies you ever made, and I will yeah. get to it. I don't know why I'd rather watch a four-hour <laughs> run. Four hours long. <laughs> um, but here's the thing: that four hours goes by. Real, yeah. Thing is, I will I, watch Ren, which is three hours. I mean, it's a long movie, and I watched it twice in a row because I was just so enamored with it. But for some reason, I'm looking at my. It makes me feel guilty ever since. I'm like, I will watch you. I, seriously, I will watch you. Um, <laughs> oh, it's it's freaking awesome. Oh, it, you'll it, love it. You'll I mean, I love it. Kurosawa was just one of those directors. I always thought was homework, <laughs> and then I watched my first one. And I went, oh no, oh, no, this is, this it's is amazing. Not at all. <laughs> no, it's not. It's, it's like it's like it's 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 hardly. You can hardly find a more fun time at the movies than Kurosawa. Oh, I mean, it's just, it's brilliant and it's incredibly entertaining. It's so entertaining. That is the thing that yeah. I had such my long time in my head when I was so in my 20s, that older movies were homework and they were always going to be yeah. a bit slow and stodgy. And then, except for Billy Wilder and, uh, you know, Alfred Hitchcock, were sure, obvious, sure, sure. like, obvious, like, um, exemptions. Yeah. I love them. But then I suddenly watched, like, I think it was either something weird. It was like Akira. And I watched this and went, this movie's amazing. <laughs> like, I watch more Kurosawa yeah. movies. This movie's yeah. just so beautiful and, and lovely. And um, again, about a person that um, is trying, is, tr is having to accept the chaos in his life. He is dying. Right. He can't, he has to just accept the facts and live the life that he has left, not the promise of what, uh, of a life, a long life. Yeah. Oh um, Kuro is oh, oh, incredible. So incredible. amazing. It's, I've only seen that one once, unfortunately. But one of those movies is almost like, do I want to see it again and sort of spoil that experience? Yeah, just <laughs> the know, way the it unfolds. Time seeing it. Exactly. I, I will. I yeah, will, me but, too. Because um, I haven't seen it. I've only seen it once, but it's, it still sticks yeah. with me. Him and the, the, the swing is, oh my God. Um, yeah. But I know where, but I think, I think it, the whole Kurosawa, the chaos of it all kind of, uh, it's, it's definitely in the DNA of this movie. Very much. Um, you know, and I guess part of the reason why I wanted to pair Apollo 13 with it is because it's one thing goes wrong, problem gets solved, 
and then another problem arises. Yes. You know, it's it's that kind of a movie. And um, but it doesn't start out with a train at all. I mean, we're starting out with this whole idea of of prison rights. <laughs> prison rights. It's um yeah, it's, I know. it's it's so yeah, because I mean I this is the movie that made this and um, Bound made me love John P. Ryan. And he plays the, mm. the warden. I mean, wrapped in place. I mean, this movie's just making up accents as it goes, which I think I solely blame on John Voight, who I've just decided in movies <laughs> would just make up an accent, not an actual accent based in reality. I still, I don't know what his, his cadence is in yeah. this movie. It's about five different things. I love it. I think it works. Um, but I think everyone else around him starts doing the same thing (laughs) and it just turns into this, I realize we're in Alaska, but no, no one talks like this. What? Why is, why is, um, Eric Roberts Southern? (laughs) It's kind of this weird, um, Oh, it's sort of like, it almost seems like this, um, this prison is in sort of this never, never land. It is. I mean, these are, these are the worst criminals that you can possibly imagine. So we're taking them from every spot throughout the United States and throwing them all in and locking one them spot. in throwing the way. Yeah. The and then, yeah. but then, but then at the same time, it's you, you, you see what's going on in this place. And you're like, who's in charge here? John P. You know? Ryan doing a terrible job. <laughs> no kidding. Cause he's just like, cause I mean that, that whole riot stuff they're showing at the yeah. beginning, you know, they're just showing up sitting around watching TV and sort of this dilapidated sort of, sitting area and stuff yeah and then, then they're throwing flaming paper out their cells and it's just like what the hell is going on here you know then the boxing match all of that stuff they weld manny into his cell yes for for 10 years or whatever it is yes it's like what the fuck yeah and <laughs> this is kind of yeah because i'd forgotten kurosawa had actually written this movie i was kind of um focusing on the director and i already butchered his name um yeah. andre con Chiglaski. i think it's i think it's conscious Concha- oh man i'm gonna get it wrong I think yeah you're, i think you're right. i tried to find an interview Konkolovsky. with something Konkolovsky, because i tried to find something somewhere where like it was that. said i could not find it this is a yeah. guy who would go on to make uh tango and cash um which another great bonkers yeah. but that's just fun um but he also yeah oh it's actually just fun it holds up because it's so daft and goofy and um i mean kurt russell steals that movie away from stallone i'm sorry stallone fans but that's kurt russell's movie um yeah. and weird sequences with terry hatcher drumming in a strip club um but he Ooh. also worked with um uh, he was also an assistant or worked closely with another great russian director um Ch- andre Tchaikovsky. i'm gonna butcher his name as well but he made such movies oh, as Tchaikovsky. Sto- thank you yeah. um i'm probably mixing another movie that he made um mm. called andre something which is oh my god just Kowalski. oh my i, I can't <laughs> yeah. remember the name but it's like if you think bergman's slow you watch this movie and you realize it's even slower and it's even more amazing and it's like Solaris, um, he mm. made all these kind of uh, Stoker, yeah. um, nostalgia, these very kind of, which this movie is not. I'm not even saying this is no, close no, to no, it. No, 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 no. But I'm talking about the, those, but... yeah, close to those. But there's a way these flourish, especially when you get the prison with the falling, burning paper that feels so, that feels like so him. Um, yeah. That... Well, I mean, I think Stalker is actually something that um, is an interesting 
connection with this movie too because yeah. i'm just thinking about them going into the zone while they're on the train yes um just sitting on those cars and just watching the world go by them yeah this is a director that i love and i can yeah. never explain why i love him because they move so slowly yet you're watching life they're very happen. meditative they're very meditative yeah. yeah yeah exactly it's like it's like watching life happen and it's a very yeah. unusual experience i love it um i have friends who i've watched a little bit and go why do you like these movies i'm like i don't know i just like watching a river go by and just watching life and all these things these ideas i mean i love Solaris yeah. and I love speaking the fact that he watched 2001 hated it and made Solaris <laughs> right I mean and you know I was just gonna say I mean a lot of people cannot figure out why in the hell I like 2001 so much oh I get it I'm not there with you but I completely get it yeah yeah and and um but and I get that you know I mean mm. I understand why people don't un understand why i like it hmm. you know that that is a movie i went to in the theater alone because no one would come with me you mm. know that's that kind of thing um but i've only ever watched it by myself because no one is interested <laughs> you know it seems like but and and you know i think um i think solaris is kind of I, I, he hated 2001. He sure, uh, if he hated it, he sure did put a lot of that DNA into Oh, Solaris. he did. He did. No, he absolutely you know. did. It was kind yeah. of one of those movies he hated, but I think he put a lot of yeah. the DNA in it. And yeah. I can't, I, people don't understand why I like Solaris more than 2001. And I don't know. No, if I, I, I get it. it. I totally understand that. I mean, I think, I think what you have in both films is just even though I get the DNA, what he, is the, yeah, there's so much of a ponderance of what is the meaning of it all. Yes. And, and I think there's even more of that in Solaris, whereas 2001 sort of saves it for the ending. Mm. Um, Solaris is all that. Yes. And I don't know. I can't even explain to myself why I do, but there's, and I think when, and because I knew that going into my first time I watched um, Runaway Train, I was kind of looking for that kind of stuff completely, even though sure. I kind of knew Kurosawa, I mean, Kurosawa, I mean, the DNA in this movie is insane and kind of all condensed and you just get this insane um, action movie because this is more of an action movie than anything else. I mean, this is yeah, produced oh, by Canon. And when Canon looks mm -hmm. at the script, they're saying, oh, we can make this an action movie, but you have this... I think it always was an action movie, though. Yeah. I, honest, I honestly think okay. that Kurosawa made this as uh, was intending to make this as an action film. Yeah. Because um, I mean, um, now I, I did sort of a little looking around, and there's this movie, this Japanese film, apparently based on a novel that's called like Love Stops a Runaway Train or something like that. Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah, and I was wondering, is it the same? book maybe he drew this from i don't i don't know i i i, I is, haven't yeah. been able to find this information i wish i could because yeah. i mean it's just sort of like i mean if we could it's like hey akira yes. uh what did you uh do this you know but obviously that's not an option anymore but um it's it's just um some of these things are that are just kind of interesting and and i i get the sense that because i mean kurosawa's movies as much as like we already said as much as they get into the existentialism of it all mm. and the fate of it all and the chaos of the world of it all 
they're mostly action movies. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, a lot of them are. I mean, not Akiru, of course, but, you know, but when we're talking about Seven Samurai and we're yes. talking about even Ron to some extent. Yes. It has a I lot mean, of action. It, it has a lot of action. It's taking yeah. King Lear and making it a more of an action movie because when yeah. you're watching those battle scenes in Ran, mm -hmm. they are some of the most incredible things. Um, yeah you've ever seen I mean, in a the war Hidden movie fortress is probably a better example of like the action of it all yeah you know something like that you know but um but i mean that's primarily what they were and then, then when when things like sanjuro and stuff were remade for western audiences they were action movies yes. you know and they didn't have to change them that much you know no. because they you know magnificent seven and stuff those are action movies mm. um and so i i honestly think that this was going to be another something along those lines uh from from kurosawa okay but, yeah um so so i think that was probably there mm. um but yeah this is this is uh the train starts rolling as soon as they get on the i mean and even before that because i mean you've got you, you know the boxing match yes and, you know he gets knifed in the hand which becomes important later yes um, he, he's wearing that red t-shirt with an eagle on it and i can't help but think to myself did you know johnny from cobra kai uh, decide to steal that logo that's on John Voight's shirt in this for his uh, dojo on, yeah. uh, you know, the Eagle Fang Karate. I don't know if anyone's yeah. a fan of that, but um, <laughs> that just that just struck me as funny. Um, but you know, but this the first half of this or the first third of this or whatever it is is a freaking great prison escape movie. It really is. Um, and to go back to the whole thing of fate, especially with Eric mm -hmm. Roberts' character, who almost decides yeah. last minute that he's going to escape with mm -hmm. um, Manny, John John Voight, because um, he's helping him out, because he's been recommended by an old friend of Voight. Like, this is, yeah, I mean, this is almost going back to another uh, reference of a director who came, a foreign director who came to the States to make a movie. This is almost like the prison end face-off. <laughs> it's literally just oh, where okay. they, the, for yeah. the worst of the worst, they're hidden away, they're locked up, um and now the warden's getting some pushback on how he's treating his prisoners um and they choose manny because he's welded literally welded the man in his cell it's um mm -hmm. because this man is notorious for an escaping there's a whole sense of them listening on the um speakers of jumpy ryan basically saying these these people aren't human we shouldn't be worrying about their their rights because they are animals they will just go out and do the worst worst things and no wonder that he has riots every five minutes in his like it's just a daily occurrence i mean the guy well, who's putting them on the speaker just does not give a he knows this is going to incite them and he's like nah put it on love it well, you, we have riots every day first there's god <laughs> then the warden then my guards yeah. then the dog out there in the kennel and then there's you you pieces of human <laughs> waste it's, i love that it's so I mean, because, exaggerated but, you know, he, yeah he, there's there's so much of this um in the opening sequences of he's an animal man yes. he's an animal and you are all animals and all these things and then he brings it back in the end and he says no worse i'm human yes i love that line that's one of <laughs> i mean i get i almost got chills just saying that yeah. just then because that is the sort of the theme here you know it's like you know and and that 
line from Richard the Third at the end, you know, <laughs> a beast feels a pang of uh, of emotion, and I don't feel that, so I am no beast. Yes, <laughs> I just like, oh man, I it, should it, have... it takes on a different meaning at the end because it of does. what Annie does, but it's like it's that whole idea of you know the beast and the human and what is worse. I should have clicked the fact that Kurosawa wrote this when they ended with a Shakespeare quote. I really should have. Because I did know that piece of information. I just completely <laughs> forgot. And I'm like, oh, yeah, Shakespeare. And like, of course Kurosawa wrote this. Um, that is, yeah. was the whole thesis of the thing. What is worse, human or animal? And yeah. Manny is pure impulse. He is, that's yeah. all he is. He just reacts to things. There's no, um, what I love about these two guys is that there's no forefront there's no thinking ahead there's just i mean yeah uh eric roberts is can't remember his character's name he buck buck his whole thing is he's going to go away and he's going to go to vegas he's going to win all this money which will never happen um and then void gives this amazing speech of knowing what you're going to do that is you're going to get a job just yes. a janitor job because oh. it's the only job the convict is ever going to get and you're going to mm -hmm. take the shit that everyone is going to give you because that means you're a normal person you're not going to be impulsive and punch the guy in the face, which is, I know what you want to do. Um, and that's what, and I think there's, you realize there's an awareness to Manny that he realizes he's all impulse, that he can only think in the moment. And he does like when he's kicking the mm -hmm. shit out of Buck oh, for gosh. not doing the thing, it's because he's angry in that moment. He's not actually, um, thinking ahead he's just yeah he's all impulsive in the moment so when he's talking to the warden at the end and kind of revealing his kind of true self and sort of saying and the warden's true self it's like no you're like me we're we're exactly mm -hmm. the same and we're gonna die on this train um and yeah. the only thing he does is that he saves buck and rebecca de mornay's character because he loose lets loose the carriage from the back so they're fine and then they're going to rock off into the into the mist. It's mm -hmm. kind of an amazing character arc of a character who, um, I mean, even back when they first escaped escape from the prison, is always screaming about his shoes. <laughs> Literally, right. he's just he's going shoes because yeah. <laughs> he doesn't have proper shoes for the for the, for the weather they're in. And yeah, it's um, and you realize that the more Buck goes on and the more he interacts with Rebecca de Mornay, who's a normal human being that mm -hmm. he can find the small humanity within himself. Um, and maybe yeah. kind of calm down a little bit. Um, it's no, the, the, the characters are absolutely fascinating. All the main, the main four, Ryan, um, uh. director de Mornay, John Voight and Eric Roberts are just yeah. these very specific archetypes that to say so much about what is happening in this moment. Yeah, I always, I also, um, I think in this viewing, I found some of the guys in the uh, control room uh, to be really interesting. Um, mm. Kyle T. Hefner is Frank Barstow, who kind of, some of the stuff he says, you know, with all this technology, uh, yes, we still couldn't stop this. We still, it still happened. Yeah, it's all, he can't figure out you why know? it happened in the first place with all this technology and he's watching right. space shuttles on, mm -hmm. on the, on the TV when he's mentioning this and Watching this with the general, which is why this is such a great double, because the general is all about human ingenuity. It's all about yeah. you're watching humans at their best doing amazing things. I mean, you're watching Buster Keaton do things that should not be possible physically right. at all. And you're watching mm -hmm. um, in the Civil War, the height of technology, cannons, volley fire, trains, how the rails work. And it's all kind of the best of what you can do 
when you're mm-hmm. getting to 1985 and Runaway Train, it's we may have all the technology in the world, but it's kind of pointless. Um, things are still going to happen, mm-hmm. and you are not going to be able to control those things, no matter how how well you designed this network. You could, it was never going to foresee this particular set of circumstances of two convicts sneaking onto a train, a engineer having a heart attack, and poor Rebecca Tomorrow is having a nap in the back. Um, right. You're never going to get, you're never going to predict this specific set of consequences um, and what the, con- of the, these things and the consequences of that, no matter how well you design your rail network. It's, yeah, and he was kind of more fascinating, especially his interaction with um, Ryan, which is terrifying. I mean, Ryan does not give a flying yeah. fuck that this train is no. loose. He's just worried about his convicts and getting them back to prison. That's all he cares about. Not the chemical mm-hmm. plant, not the fact that this could kill a lot of people. No, nothing. It's, um, I mean, sticking a head, a man in a thing of pee is, is, is quite a thing to do. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. It's... You know, I mean, if I'm, if I'm thinking of this movie from sort of a, I guess, through the lens that I often see movies, uh, which is a bit of a spiritual lens, I guess. Mm. There's, I mean, Rankin is the devil. Yes, yes, he he is. He is is the keeper of hell. Mm. And um, the prison, uh, Stonehaven, is hell. Mm. Yes, it does feel very otherworldly, as you said. It's in a never-never land of of, of things. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and the fact that at the very end, and, you know, I mean, I, I, I know I, I'm skipping, I tend to skip around when I talk to you on these a lot. Um, I skip around that, always. <laughs> okay, bad excellent. <laughs> so, but I mean, the fact that Manny, at the end, you know, he, he um, he's wounded and his hand is wounded. I mean, he's literally been pierced through his hand. Mm. I mean, that's a very, and then, you know, standing up on top of the train with his arms outstretched is a very Christ- it is and then he's taken the devil down with him yes you know in this train while he set these other people free and it cuts to all these faces in prison still you know and and the hope that they have Mm. and you know this sense that the sense of uh freedom Mm. even even in the midst of being imprisoned it's very I I just I can't help but see some of that stuff um, mm. just because of my personal experience, I guess. So, I mean, I find that very, um, very powerful, you know, and the the idea, you know, of humans being worse than the beast, you know, <laughs> is is um, I think a powerful image, too. Um, and and it, it's I think this movie has resonated with me for as long as I can remember. I saw it when I was pretty young. Mm. My parents um, rented it. And uh, by then, obviously, I, I, I can't, um, I'm maybe nine or 10 years old. Mm. Uh, I can't remember. And, and they had watched it and said, yeah, this was good. I like this a lot. My mom said, says, and we were apparently old enough to watch R-rated movies. And so we watched it. I remember really liking it. And the only image I remembered for the longest time was Manny's hand getting crushed. Uh, in the, yeah. Uh, in the the joint, the where mm. the cars are joined together. Yeah. And um, 
it, but it just stuck with me. This whole, the feeling of this movie stuck with me for 30 years, wow. you know, yeah. before I saw it again for, for the first time in that amount of time, you know, just like last year at some mm. point and was like, this movie's incredible. I mean, that it still has so much going on. I think that uh, various things, I mean, just the fact that you can watch it as a just a straightforward action film um, and have a great time, but you can also watch it for, you know, the chaos and mm. for the different subtexts that are going in and out of this movie, I think is really, really wonderful. Yeah, you know? that that is a really beautiful way to look at it because maybe because, oh, I know it's because I never grew up with religion. I have always seen this movie as kind of being godless it now that you've sort of brought back the oh, devil yeah and, and, I, I i could i could definitely see that see you could definitely view it that way too i yeah for sure yours you know, is a much more beautiful way of looking chaos. at it but um because it's pure <laughs> chaos and it's kind of how do people live without faith um mm -hmm. and but rebecca de mornay is the only one who has faith i mean she even says a, I think even a couple of times at least once in the movie i have faith like that they will mm -hmm. they, they know we're here that they're going to save us that we're not going to die, even though right at the end, she says to uh, Buck, I don't want to die alone. I don't want to be alone when this happens. Like I'm kind of accepting about what is to happen and it doesn't, they, they are saved. Um, but it is kind of this way of, if you don't live without faith and the trust that there's a plan or that there is kind of um, a meaning to anything, then even though, so I'm not religious, I still kind of have to believe that there are, um structures and parallels in life even if i don't think they're mm. god made um but what right, even happens right, when sure. they're gone um and right it's yeah. it's a terrifying thought because it's a train mm -hmm. going 80 not 80 90 miles per hour it's not it's and there's no stopping it you just have to wait till it till it crashes um but the fact that john voight makes or uh, manny makes the decision to unlock the carriage and to save mm -hmm. uh, De Mornay uh, and, and uh, Roberts is kind of this beautiful moment in, oh, hum humanity does have hope a little bit. And this myth-making of, because yeah. there's this other thread where because he's kind of the ultimate badass prisoner, he's a hero among the inmates. He's kind of there, they exactly. look to, he's the hero, he's the, yeah. he's the myth. And when he's beating the shit out of Buck, Buck goes, you're my hero. We believed in you. We thought yeah, you were the that, ultimate thing to look up to. It's heartbreaking. Incredible. It's incredible. Yeah. Um, and it's the cold. That's probably my of... favorite scene in the movie. Yeah. I mean, it is just like, and I think for, for me, that's where both uh, Roberts and Voight earned their Oscar nominations. Yes. Because this was yeah. Oscar nominated. Um, which is insane. Which is insane. This is, is an insane. action movie with a train. This <laughs> is a canon movie. It's a canon. Good Lord. <laughs> it's, it's, so, uh... The people who made the distributed and funded this movie made ninja escape uh, into the ninja escape the ninja and ninja domination um and right. american ninja which movies i love by the way i am not sure. dissing them i am just saying no. this movie is not does not have frank and Nero winking at the camera at the end which is one of my favorite no. moments in film history but <laughs> <laughs> it's oh, it's it's something more i mean this movie is saying multiple things at once it is you know, faith, it is chaos, it is um, myth-making. The way that, the image that's always mm -hmm. stuck with me is Manny standing on the train in the end because it is, yeah. he's giving himself to fate, 
chaos yeah. and God. It is this weird kind of, and I'm crediting this because it was written by an insanely smart, genius Japanese person who made some of the greatest movies of all time and then directed by mm -hmm. a Russian. Um, and yes, yeah. and Russians have, and Japanese have a very nihilistic view of the world. It must be just where they are positioned and globally, but it's can be this very nihilistic. And the fact that you, this image of him, his arm stretched out akimbo, waiting for something to happen, whether it is God, whether it is chaos, whether it is death, whether it is just something else. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I love that so much. And it is also myth-making because when you go to the faces of the other prisoners af afterward, mm -hmm. Manny's permanently put himself in mythology. He's permanently... Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. It's the hope of the prisoners that there's something life after this and the hope that they might have, but it's also he's now their myth. Um, he is their folklore. He also makes he is their legend. He's their god in a way now. By, yeah. yeah, and then by doing that, because, I mean, he, he lost... When he comes in and he kicks the crap out of Eric Roberts out of yeah. Buck... Uh, he sort of loses um, his mythic status in his eyes. Yes, and he wants that. He and, likes having that mythic yeah. status. Yeah, and he he's essentially he redeems. There, it's a it's a redemption arc in a way too, because mm. he he gain he gains that he gains that um, he he is now forever cemented as this mm. mythic characters, this mythic hero. Um, to all of these people, including Buck. Yes. Be, it, because it's, if he had left it the way it was, it, you know, it, it, he would have been a fallen hero. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Whereas here by, by, I don't know what it is. I mean, for me, a, a self-sacrifice epic. Yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I'm a sucker for it. I'll admit it. Yeah, me too. I, I do this all the time. Whenever we talk about it on on Movies for Life, you know, Michelle's always like, all right, yeah, self-sacrifice mm. movie. Like, mm. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> um, but it, it's just, um, it gets to me. It really means something to me to, to see someone, um, to hear that story again. Yeah, uh, that someone gives themselves for someone else. And I think it's a powerful image, uh, and I think it works for a lot of people just because, you know, it, it speaks to something in our humanity somewhere. You know, that someone would actually do something completely selfless for someone else. Yes, we um, would like to think that happens. You know, yes, <laughs> you and know? especially Manny, who everything up to that point is completely self selfish he exactly he does not care that uh buck needs shoes even though that that's the only word he's yelling for 10 minutes in the movie he does not yep. care about rebecca de mornay at all um right. he is only thinking of his own self-interest so for him to kind of realize he's lost his hero status to, with buck and to realize that and the warden's exactly the same he does not he is yeah. very everything he does is self-motivation he will not be humiliated oh, yeah by a prisoner who keeps escaping. Mm -hmm. He will keep everything under lock and key. He doesn't care what happens in the prison. He just cares what happens outside of the prison. Right. I mean, he yeah. acts very differently on camera than he does talking to the... Oh, it's incredibly not, different. Yeah. Incredibly different. And yeah. he's furious he's going down with Manny. He, that is not... Mm -hmm. This is a man who thought he had control. 
and he loses control at the end and has to give himself because I know how to die too. It's like, no, I don't think you do. You're furious mm -hmm. at this particular moment. Um, Manny's happy. He's like, oh, I am. I'm going to finally be free. Yes, it is in yeah. whatever happens at the end. I love the fact that, yeah, yeah, he, he probably dies. Yeah. But the movie doesn't let you even acknowledge it. It doesn't have that moment. Yeah. It doesn't have that moment. And even though you know that's the reality, that final scene says so much about completely, says so much about what death is. Um, and it's multifaceted mm -hmm. that I love. And that, right, that um, the warden just gets completely has has those final moments of oh i control nothing this whole time i thought i was in control i am god you're not you are handcuffed to a train that is right hurtling toward oblivion, oblivion. um and it's it's a really nice ending i love the i mean this movie is amazing and but that ending yeah. those just few moments at the end just yeah. chef kiss they just heighten the movie to another level so yes it, this movie was oscar nominated for a reason <laughs> yeah i mean it, it, honestly if you if if we had had the catharsis of the train crash at the end yeah the movie would not be remembered the way it is no it would not be effective the way it is mm. it would not have um because it, it leaves so it because it elevates it to this level of you know the esoteric yes at the end he just disappears you know, into the mist. That's all you need what, to know. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever belief or unbelief or whatever thoughts you have about mm. the universe and life and death are left to linger mm. with you <laughs> as you go. And that is incredibly powerful. Yeah. You know, and uh, boy, not a lot of movies are brave enough to do that, I think. Yeah. To, to leave it so open for you to sort of um have to sit with how you feel about it yes you know um without giving you all of the you know because i mean what happens to buck and uh and rebecca de mornay's character does does he go back to prison yeah that is chances like, are chances are yes but because yeah. it's such a smart movie even though you know what the realities are at the end of this movie yeah. you know buck probably is is 99 going back to prison rebecca sure. de mornay is traumatized for the rest of her life uh john voigt and the warden both die are dead, are dead. um yeah. but because this movie is so existential and so kind of very much about the ideas as well as the action you don't get those definitive answers and everything's in the ether which means who knows it's a really smart way of doing yeah. it, even though you know, but at the same time, you don't know. And I think that's a really smart way to end this movie. It's not like um, the trailer I chose for, which is Speed, which is everything's, you know, Hooper dies sure. at the end. Uh, um, Keanu Reeves and Sandra Bullock end up together. Um, they, well, they at least kiss it's kind of briefly that until briefly the, until the sequel until the sequel yeah. they're break, obviously broken up um that relationship wasn't gonna last anyway it was fine no, um no. but everything's definitive and then but like your pick for point blank everything is kind of in the ether which is why i love that movie and why it's no. such a great trailer it's kind of all about the these very loose ideas and but it has something so tr solid as a train it's i still don't know how I, I, okay, I do know how this movie is as good as it is. I but I feel this way a lot about Kurosawa movies. I just don't know how they get how they are this good. If that mm -hmm. like when you're watching Ran, sure, 
I can see why it's good. I understand why it's good. But then I watch the battle scene and I'm like, how? I don't, my brain can't quite get around how he did this exactly. There's something ethereal about it, even though it's right in front of me. It's something about the touch of a master. Yeah. uh, you, You just can't put your finger on quite what is making it work the way it does yes um, carissara leone i always have those issues with those movies sure. i'm like how is this i can see it i can see it right in front of me sure. i see what he's doing um i just don't know <laughs> well well to quote the character of uh you know eddie mcdonald uh some things can't be explained yes um <laughs> right <laughs> so actually no yeah i do love um how I do love Eddie McDonald in this in in the movie. He's just he's kind of the corporate like just get rid of the train. It'll be cheaper if we just derail mm-hmm. it. And yeah. I don't even think because um, I, I actually do like his performance. Kyle T. Hef- Hefner. His yeah. he's he's not. Yes, he wants to save the people that are on the train, but it's more the fact he doesn't want to admit his system doesn't work. <laughs> right, right. I get well, that feeling. You, yeah. Yeah, and you know he's he's great. You know, hey. Another, a, a little interesting little tidbit here. Kenneth mm. McMillan, who plays Eddie McDonald, is also in The Taking of Pelham 123. <laughs> which I did consider pairing with this, too. Yes, um, that would have been a very, very good pairing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, so that's, that's just kind of some interesting things. Then, of course, you know, T.K. Carter, who's also in The Thing, yeah. you know, kind of has that uh, little um, connection with... Uh, Yes. You know, the ice and snow and the. Oh wait, because he's he's the, the chef the, in in uh, thing, isn't he? Yeah, thinking, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so I mean, there's there's just I, I think this there's there are just a few movies out there where you really just feel the frigid the frigidity of the cold. Oh, you know, you and you really feel... it's so palpable in this movie. Yeah. You know, I mean, you you can feel how cold they are. Um, and none and of them every... are dressed for cold weather. That's what no. I love about it. They are. Mm-hmm. Uh, did this thing they're out they're in the middle of alaska it's freezing mm. and none of them are actually prepared for that weather they are literally right. just surviving yeah in the moment there is no because if the train doesn't kill them the elements are going to um yep. and i love the fact that they have it's a train in the middle of just snow because it kind of adds to this um yeah they're they're done there's no way it's yeah. gonna <laughs> Yeah, it's inevitability. Even though it, with Kurosawa, you don't get that inevitable. It's it's the same thing at once. Is, is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's yeah, a cold movie. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, which you know is, yeah, sort of like hot emotions and you know these this cold setting is kind of kind of exciting, you know. <laughs> it really <laughs> is, and this movie, uh, I, the thing could have been a great trailer for this because it's about a whole bunch of people who'd really in this train. It's just the three people. They mm-hmm. do not trust each other. They no. can't. Because mm-hmm. if I was, I mean, the first time Rebecca De Mornay meets Buck, he's threatening to rape her. And then because yeah. he's, again, all impulse. And that's yeah. what he was put in jail for. And she and but those two actually forge a connection at the end because she kind of gives him a little bit of humanity. Like it's an influence I don't think he's had very often. Um, Manny's kind of immune to it a little bit. But Buck kind of goes, oh, this person's kind of treating me as an equal. And you're not a you're a normal person you're not in this prison that i've spent quite a bit of time in um it's a it's a fascinating relationship between the two it really is 
It really is. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else you want to say about this amazing movie? Um, what are we trying before we end? end? No, I, I think uh, we've, 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 we've probably... We've talked we've about it, yeah. all over on these. Yeah. Oh, man. Both of these. I mean, I... I I was thinking when I came into this, oh, I don't expect this one to be as long as the last one. <laughs> um, no, and I was looking at the time going, oh, my God, <laughs> we really have been talking a while. Um, yeah. This is weird. But these, this was such a great double because they are contrasting and literally very similar at the same time, and that's my favorite kind mm. of double. Um, yeah, perfection yeah. and chaos, I think, is kind of what this double is, as well as, well as the trains. Um, and I think it's... Yeah. kind of amazing um before we go please remind people where they can find your good work uh yeah okay so um most of it's on bloody disgusting and uh manor vellum um you can find my author pages there if mm. you would like to do you can search my name brian kuiper on either one and you'll find them uh you'll find all the work i've done there or uh you can find me on twitter at brian d kuiper and um also do listen to us on uh, the Movies for Life podcast with uh, Michelle Egan and I. Uh, you can find that on Twitter at Movie Life Pod. And yeah, we uh, are really enjoying doing that show together. And we're going to have uh, Lindsay on. Yes. To talk about one of her favorites before too long here. So. Yes. Uh, Michelle just did the quick, just think of a movie you love. And I said it and I was just like, done. I'm like, oh, that was easy. <laughs> yeah. First thing gets into my head. Yeah. Um, No, I'm looking forward to it. And I am definitely, I'm going after this, I'm going to go for a walk and listen to your Dr. Sleep episode, which I am really looking forward to. Got it all queued up and ready to go. It's going to be amazing. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, I know you're really busy and to talk about these two amazing movies. It was such a fun double to to watch them back to back. Yeah, so much fun to to talk with you again. And yeah. Maybe not so long. Maybe that's not. No, wait we, so long till the next one because this is so much fun to it is we, yeah exactly we won't we won't wait i think nearly a year yeah, <laughs> so, it's been a while <laughs> it's been a while it's been a while yeah. um no we, we will do this a lot sooner because it i you've just yeah i never think about the movies where you do and you always bring this amazing perspective so thank you so much for coming on this has been amazing right. thank you so much uh, um yeah as usual if you want to follow shock and awe it's uh shock and awe one at um on instagram uh, in instagram and twitter uh, shock and all one um and we're on all the apps as usual if you want to follow me personally it's on reading geek um and yeah that's it for this week this was an amazing double if you haven't seen any buster keaton please watch some buster keaton and the runaway train is a phenomenal one of the best movies of not just canon but probably of the 80s it's 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 a masterwork yeah and with that we will be back next week with another double feature all right thanks guys bye <laughs>